0: nice little breeze coming through
1: yeah and if uh you know if you want to share some water even though you have your own that (laughs) looks a lot colder than the glass that i have if you want to share my glass of water feel free you have ice cubes in there i had ice cubes in there they are since melted but um you know that's just the nature of of my my hot breath i guess
0: this is the dedication that we have to everyone though yeah push through the pain that's
1: true I'm willing to share it with you. Yes. Just thank you. Appreciate that. Throwing it out there. Yeah. I don't care about mononucleosis or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. You just see me take it and I start dumping it in there. <laughs> Everybody went to school with a kid who got mono and was gone for a month. I didn't,
0: but it happened a couple times when I was at Ferris. Oh. Yeah. We okay. had a we had some players that got mono. It's um Late bloomer
1: mononucleosis. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, I never knew anything about it until it happened. And then uh, you get kind of the deets on it. And then anyone that comes up and tells you something's going on, it's like, oh, that sounds like mono.
1: Yeah. Yeah the kissing disease as they call it yes yes
0: <laughs> way better than uh syphilis or
1: gonorrhea yeah that's the next step is syphilis <laughs> is like advanced mononucleosis yeah <laughs> like yeah the college course in high school if it yeah if it was like an evolution in pokemon that would be like stage two stage Ooh. stage three would be uh aids yeah i feel like yep <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's, that's it. your uh
0: Pokemon uh, sex disease for you.
1: Yeah, I feel like kids would learn a lot more or like pay better attention to like sex education if every single analogy was Pokemon or like just just video games in general. You I'd know? say
0: if you can get anime, like Pokemon does fit within that realm, but you know I'm thinking also like if you had like some Yu Gi Oh characters or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Instead of playing my Blue Eyes White Cena, I I play my uh my Trojan Bearskin.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that would have a weird evolution, too, I
1: feel like. Like, like different kinds of condoms are worth more than others. Kind of like a trading card. HP points. Yeah. yeah. HP points. Uh, different sorts of attacks. Risk of getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just all sorts of different stats that you put in a card form. You know? uh,
0: or you could do just your typical 52 playing deck. I'm sure that there's 52 types of cards you could throw in there. Yeah. All within... You probably... I'm guessing... Yeah, I don't know what one would be the bad one.
1: Yeah. Clubs, I, maybe. Maybe. It's like uh Yeah, you get like a booster pack or like a card pack. Yeah. That you could... You have a chance of getting a rare one, you know? Like, yeah. oh, wow, the Magnum condom. That's worth at least like $46. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hieroglyphic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You get the ribbed for her pleasure one. And yeah.
0: It's <laughs> yeah, but then you got to have, like, your basic ones that yeah. are just, like, in every pack. Those are the
1: commons. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Don't even don't even get me started on the flavored ones. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good spot to intro into. Yeah, let's do it. I can't do that, Dave. Yeah. Iconic line from uh, Stanley, Stanley Bathtub Kubrick, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm uh i'm kyle by the way and i'm mac we got some films to talk about yes we do some some very uh space-centric material yes. but i also got some news things that Ooh. i want to touch on let's go let's hear them. uh have you seen the <laughs> have you seen elemental the pixar movie that came out like the whole movie or know about it you just know about it know
0: about it yes
1: yeah so there's this video that's been going around that was posted on the official Elemental trailer or the Twitter for Disney's Elemental. They like reposted a video uh, or something. And it's this very obviously fake movie theater audience reaction to their movie. Like this character, I I, I forget his name, but he's like a little dirt looking guy. And he, he, Claude. They're okay. they're like oh man when Claude hits the screen everybody goes nuts and in the video it's like this kind of sh- purposefully shittily shot like phone video of the screen playing the movie Elemental and that scene comes up and everybody when Claude comes on screen they're like oh my god it's fucking Claude like it's yeah like it's all it's, nine and ten year olds screaming that yeah it's like when certain actors appear in Spider Man No Way Home and people lose their shit it's like that type of video. But it's obviously, like, very fake and yeah. heavily heavily edited. They CGI'd exaggerated. Yeah, exaggerated Like, <laughs> you don't see anybody. You just see the screen and, like, the kind of shakiness of the camera because it's super dark. But you, like, supposedly, air quotes, hear the audience reacting to it. And it's super fucking exaggerated. Like, nobody would ever cheer for a character that they don't know or, like have no idea about like previously or aren't fans of already i like, I, it's so I, I will weird. i will say maybe
0: like for an older audience for the younger kids possibly but it's still a weird guerrilla marketing
1: it is. campaign yeah they're trying to capitalize off of that type of video i don't know if you've ever watched those but like the the audience reacts to uh the horror Avengers, movie, Avengers end game when Thor appears or whatever like like that is this, type this like of a var-
0: viral meme sort of thing that they're going with Kind of
1: maybe I don't know how much of it is a meme though because a lot of it just feels like they're oh. just trying to to replicate that sort of video. thinking of like a vine
0: inspiration like a five second video that has like a certain thing going on in it. That yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. The only ones that I ever see are the horror movie ones.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll send it to you after we get done. Just, okay, just so you can experience it, or maybe I'll just show you and get your get your reaction. Yeah, live.
0: That's we could do that either or.
1: Yeah, uh, if you, yeah. But uh, I just wanted to bring that up just because it it feels so desperate because Elemental is not making a whole lot of money at the it box office. Didn't they? It's Pixar, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. They they On this one specifically, it feels like they double down. And they typically don't. But I don't know if they're running out of sort of a vision up there. At least with their storytelling. Like, what do you mean double down? Uh, Elemental feels a lot like uh, the other one that came out. Inside with, Out? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it's Soul. A lot of the Pixar movies that have come out recently are just... <laughs> they're And they're being kind of memed on for this. But... Yeah. Like... Uh, anthropomorphic blobs that are colorful and talk to each other yeah i don't well
0: maybe it's where we're going at with as a society not saying it's right or wrong you know i'm just it's you try to relate to the market that you're identifying with so maybe with you know they they looked at (laughs) finding nemo they're like we have too many you know the she's and he's in there Uh And now they're kind of going with just like a very wide range demographic that they can target for kids at that at that age so that they're not identifying.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That could be that could be it. That's conspiracy theory Mac for you. That's tinfoil hat Mac going there.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm just saying like if, if you have to think there's a reason why and
1: I don't know any other reason why besides like that. I think me personally, it has to do a lot with the success of movies like Inside Out or other movies like it, where the animation style is very similar. A lot of the characters look very similar with that sort of colorful, blobby animation type that they have going on there.
0: They've had success throughout like it's not like they had like oh man we came out with six movies and finally the seventh one hit and
1: every one that they've done has been i know and that's that's where i'm conflicted because they've had success with movies that have like a different like a slightly different art style or slightly different character designs like toy story they're all toys or up up are like real Mm -hmm. human beings being depicted you know or even, like, the part of Soul that is involved in the real world. Like, yep. they've had success with movies that are ingrained in, like, a different type of aesthetic, kind of. Even though, like, the animation style and quality is very similar. But, right. I don't know. That's that's where I, I have trouble figuring out why it's just been a trend of, like, oh, blobby talking characters. Well, so,
0: what do we got? What's the... Tr- is it... So, you got
1: inside out perhaps yeah, inside and, out you got a decent part of soul because yep. a lot of parts of that movie are just blobby characters yep. you've got elemental yep and then i i don't know what else well really. that's what i'm saying so we got we got
0: three right there but inside out i think strays away from the blobbiness a little bit maybe mm-hmm. not. Well, they are colorful and they do depict them in a certain way mm-hmm you know, I'm trying to think like soul. Everyone's the same. Yeah. And then in this one, I don't know. This one looks like the Musinex commercial.
1: It does yeah, so a little like, bit. The like water guy. Yeah.
0: Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I saw it and I was like, I don't know why people are gonna lose their shit for this one. And apparently they haven't. No,
1: because it's doing poorly. And uh, I think it's like one of the first Pixar movies to kind of bomb in a while. I mm-hmm. think. I don't know how. I don't know how Turning Red did. I feel like that was maybe a little bit successful, but I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I haven't really looked into it. I've that watched much. Turning Red. Oh yeah. Uh, it, they had some uh,
0: like adolescent teen themes in there yeah. that I think really discourage parents because I think Pixar, while dealing with some of the the higher concept ideas that kids don't really learn about, they do it in a very um, tactful way. Mm. They did it with this one, but more because the person was a person you know it really kind of it depicts some things parents don't like talking about and that they're
1: uncomfortable with yeah yeah,
0: and i think that's why like turning red if i i I don't know how well it did but i don't think i think they got it out onto disney plus to get more streaming i was gonna say i feel like it
1: was on disney plus not long after it released in theaters yeah
0: and i don't know if that was due to covid as well because that could have came out right around the time COVID was a little past its due, you True. know. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't really know. I just remember I, I watching it myself. I was like, oh wow, this is. It's really about like a girl that's kind of going through some, some of her female stuff, mm-hmm. um, and what it, what it kind of, you know, emotionally what it can, the psychological effect it can have on you, yeah, you know, or the emotional effect. So. I read up on it because I was like, wow, this seems like really (laughs) like targeting one area for one demographic. Uh Uh-huh. And uh yeah, you could see some of the people, uh, the reviews on it were not tasteful.
1: Were not glowing. Yeah. Um, I need to catch up on a lot of Pixar stuff because I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Elemental. There's a lot. I haven't seen up. Like there's a lot of Pixar stuff that I need to need to look into and check out.
0: Well, you get into a I think there's a certain point where it kind of runs drier. You have to come up with cleaner ideas. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying doubling down with this one feels a lot like the previous stuff they've done. And you mix in some of the characters and it has like a very inside out vibe to it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't exactly know with Elemental what they're dealing with. I would assume something with the elements and how they interact. Look, yeah, and maybe, relationships maybe more kid so that's what i'm saying like if you're dealing with like water as being depression or fire being anger and you have the earth as being grounded or whatever i don't really know Mm -hmm. it's it might be mixing that in but like that once again could be something that's over a kid's head when you're using a lot of those what analogies allegories as metaphors yes to fill in for what you're trying to say I don't know if a nine or 10 year old is going to pick up on that. Like Mm. finding Nemo, very relatable story. Easy to follow. Dad's dad Dad loses his son loves his son's gonna do whatever it takes to get his son back yeah you know so you don't have to deal with some of that stuff of like oh look at that you see the fire that's how you feel like when you're kind of upset with me (laughs) like i don't know if a nine-year-old is gonna be like oh wow
1: well i have the brain of a nine-year-old so when i watch it i guess i'll let you know i was about
0: to say i'm I'm curious about it i saw this one and i i just kind of was like the but you know i did the same thing with soul i want to say i i saw soul and i was like i don't know what i'm gonna get out of this and you know that one was pretty good
1: i liked soul I like Soul. I'd like to check it out again, just to really cement my feelings on it, because it's been a while. <laughs> um, speaking of movies losing money, yeah,
0: The Flash. Oh, I've wanted to take Preston to see this so bad, and even he was like, "Yeah, I'm good." <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. So, did you ever end up checking it out? No, I didn't. I'm still. I, I think it's like getting decent ratings, and it's hard
1: to. It's. I see a bunch of memes on DC fans with it. I watched it. I, oh, I, I did watch it. Okay. Yeah. uh, The reason I bring it up is because it stands to lose $200 million at the box office. $200 it's, million? it's bombing really hard. $200 million? Yeah. Dude, DC's just got to fucking call it. I, I mean, with James Gunn at the helm, I guess they kind of are, kind of aren't. I don't know. But... Did he have any sort of ties in with this one? No. Okay. No, it doesn't feel like james gunn had anything to do with this movie it's super messy yeah but. and it's not like the worst movie i've ever seen but it's <laughs> not good ever seen yeah we're, we're branching out of the dc universe just into any movie ever made <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> we're going outside the parameters Dude, i thought
0: i saw this had like a six something on imdb
1: and that makes sense it's very it's very widely appealing to general audiences it's humorous it kind of has that sort of marvel formula of like a lot of humor in it a lot of like character dynamics that so not like bounce off of each other in a witty way
0: awareness a little bit
1: i don't know i don't know if i'd say that i'd say more so just kind of knowing the audience for superhero movies and the type of people who like that stuff and just kind of hammering home with that sort of demographic in mind yeah because it, it feels like 'Cause people in my theater were enjoying it. They were laughing quite a bit. They loved all the different jokes that were going on. And I, I will admit, like, there were some moments that I found kind of humorous. Yeah. Um and as much shit as Ezra Miller has done in the past, like, year or so, uh, he's not the worst part of it. Like he's Really? He's yeah, he's actually like he's he's competent as the character and as a leading a leading person and in fact this movie i don't know if you've seen the trailer but like there's two versions of him so you get like double ezra miller yes um the visuals for it are super poor like they're terribly done
0: what someone on twitter i don't you know i don't know who but just scrolling through they're like can this is a 200 million dollar movie or whatever they said and it's like showing like really bad cgi and kind of blocky. it's terrible like the pixel rates off or what like, i got it
1: looks like it looks like spider-man 3 quality cgi i'm not even joking
0: uh, no i believe it because the the what i saw out of it and i was like i'm just viewing it on my phone uh-huh. you know but i was like even if this is a little bit enhanced this isn't nearly to like what you're getting in other how was cgi that bad
1: i don't know because the director of it, Andy Muschietti, who directed the two newest It movies, by the way. Oh, oh! Now I know. <laughs> uh, he came out and said, "No, the 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 CGI is bad on purpose because when the Flash runs really fast." he's bending light at a different way than we're normally seeing. And, uh, everything from our perspective is distorted because he's running so fast. And it's like, okay, dude, how do you explain the scenes where he's not running fast? Isn't it like
0: the one I saw was of like Supergirl or wonder woman. Someone's yeah.
1: flying through the air. Super, Superwoman,
0: And it's like chaos and mass destruction around her, but like really poorly done.
1: It, yeah. It was it like the desert scene or Probably. something. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, no, the, the visuals are super terrible, and, just, like, structurally, it's just all over the place. Like, it's just super fucking messy. Uh, yeah. And ends in a very, like, almost, like, too goofy, anticlimactic way. And I I feel like maybe that's the perfect end to, like, Zack Snyder's run of DC movies and, yeah. like, that whole thing. Yeah. but. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, it was not good.
0: Well, hopefully they're like, we're going to give James a couple of films before we call it.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And give him a shot.
0: They got to be making money somewhere for someone to still be like, listen, guys, <laughs>
1: we're okay. He he uh, cast, um, I think he cast his Superman recently for his version of Superman's movie. Uh, it's this guy named David Corn Sweat. And the only reason I know that is because his name is very funny. Corn Sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, no, The Flash. Uh if you ever see it, we can talk about it. But if you don't, I'm okay with not.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds like Black Adam. This is like a movie I think I'll probably now I'll wait till Max. Or
1: if Preston wants to see it.
0: I did have a funny thought. It, it doesn't sound like he does. Oh, that's why I don't know. I had a funny thought though. I was like, wow, you can kinda tell uh who the demographic is and what these movies represent because I'm trying to get my kid to see the DC one and like I don't know if I I could take him to see a Marvel one but he's definitely like on board with the Hulk and Thor and Iron Man like I don't know it's just it's bizarre to me how you can have two very similar concepts just fucking one so far above the other
1: one one is yeah they're so entirely different the way they went about doing those universes yeah is just so polar opposite well i think I, I i'll still say to this day i think
0: guardians changed the landscape mm-hmm. i still think that's what revolutionized kind of you know where they can go and what they're allowed to put in these things and understand what it's about where like marvel kind of was like you know what let's spin it to the left here and we'll follow that recipe where dc was like no no, we can't have any sort of
1: humor whatsoever. <laughs> humor or character buildup or e- like a pre-established history between well, you, the characters. You can you can even set it there
0: where it's like, you know, Marvel's like, hey, we have the content, but we don't have to follow this verbatim. Like mm-hmm. if it, it's within our realm, we can make Iron Man whatever Iron Man we want because we're going to have all of these different universes pop up. Whereas DC... Just hearing the guy talk about it, you know, you're seeing the flash run and warp speed and time. And, like, we don't, as humans, can't comprehend what that would look like. So, this is why I had it that way. It's like, hey, pal, like, don't do that. Like, you're no. right, so don't do it in a way that we can't comprehend it, because you're going to make it even more fucking distorted.
1: Yeah, like, why does Flash Running Fast look better in Justice League, a movie that came out, like, five years ago than it does in the Flash's own movie that came out this year?
0: Like, I bet you that
1: X-Men scene
0: with the uh, whatever guy.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, probably. Yeah, what he, the fuck is his name? I, I can't. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Fast yeah. Running Boy. Yeah, exact. Love
0: that guy. Yeah, but that scene's probably... Quicksilver. Quicksilver. I was singing Silver Bullet. Shout out, King. <laughs> yeah, uh, shout out the werewolf. Yeah. Um, but I was like, that scene was tastefully done for, with like, this is how fast this guy's going and we'll show you how fast he's That's going. That's like
1: one of the exemplary scenes of a character with that sort of power mm-hmm. to... to exist like people point to that scene and they go this is how you do it yeah for a a character with this sort of power don't speed it up slow it down and then we can actually see in real time you know how like what's happening while he's still moving yeah don't make it look like a fucking bowling alley screen when you get a strike (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh speaking of strike i got one more news thing yeah before we dive into the movies um I don't know why I said speaking of strike, because it really does not segue that great. Is there any letters in there? Uh, Maybe you come up with a strike acronym. Uh, when you are when you have a strike... I, I can't do an acronym. I'm not that smart. Okay. I'll do an analogy. Okay. Uh, you get struck out of a baseball game, and when you're out, you are out cold. Knocked out cold dead, and uh, Alan Arkin passed away. Yeah, I saw that. That's very uh
0: yeah yeah i've i've seen him in like a couple films i his filmography's
1: probably lost on me uh there's a couple notable ones for me one being little miss sunshine that's probably the most prominent for me
0: that's the one that they even referenced when he like when it said his the star of and they went with little miss that it actually threw me off for a second i was like who i'm thinking of the wrong guy and i was like oh because he was in argo Mm. I've seen
1: him in Argo. Oh yeah, I remember he was in that movie. Glengarry Glenn Ross. I actually watched that recently. Like, Glengarry Glenn Ross? Probably like a few months ago, yeah. Nice. Mm. Yeah.
0: Dude, I thought we quote that film all the time. I know, I, love I, that I remember film.
1: Sam referenced it when he was on here last. Yeah. We were talking about Al Pacino, I think. Yes. And uh yeah, I'm glad I watched it because he's really good in that. Like, that movie is an actor's exercise routine. Like it really is. Yeah.
0: It's like not and speaking of because Alan Arkin's great in it but every character on that one is really great and it's almost like a playwright that hit the screen I think it is yeah oh yeah well I'm saying like the way that it was filmed and actually shot like they mm. didn't do any everything's in set it's all long camera takes it's all the actors you know living in the moment there isn't quick scenes you don't have the over the shoulder conversations you know it's yeah there's a lot of genuine, probably, like... Oh, I don't want to say improv, but, like, um, more so than what you get when it's like, all right, we're going to take here. Good line. Like, kind yeah, of ad lib, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Like, kind of... It's what actors really want is to live in the moment. Mm. And, and that, it, that film definitely
1: feels that way. I mean, <laughs> Baldwin is... Oh, yeah. You know? Baldwin. I mean, shit. Kevin Spacey. Ke- just, really good. Yeah, Jack really Lemon's good. awesome. They're, everyone's really good in it. Who's... um. Oh, what's the guy's name? He's like the friend of Alan Arkin in that movie. He's the other bald guy. Uh, his name's Ed. Something. Ed Harris? Yeah, Ed Harris. Yeah. 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 I often confuse those two. And it's funny because I was talking to my friend Lauren yesterday about Alan Arkin passing away because her favorite movie is Little Miss Sunshine. Right. And uh, she said, at first, I thought it was that other guy, like the bald guy. His name's like Ed or something. And I'm like, I know who you're talking about, but I can't I can't get the last name. But it's Ed Harris that I always mix them up with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tragic. It's, uh, Rest in peace, Alan
0: Arkin. Seriously. I mean, it's one of those kind of getting up to you where some of the people that you watched or you have some of your favorite films and you recognize the character names are starting to go a little bit
1: yeah yeah well especially because he was 89 so he was getting up there yeah not not to say like it's not a sad thing but he lived a full life he did and he had i'm sure he had some more great films i i'm sure i've seen more alan arkin films those
0: are the two that just kind of stick out Mm -hmm. for me i really like the way he talked too.
1: yeah you know He he had a certain cadence about him yes um speed of cadence A lot of the characters in Wes Anderson's movies have a very similar cadence. Oh and we're gonna get into it with Asteroid City. Do you want me to
0: do this or do you wanna do
1: this? I'll let you have asteroid city. Okay. So
0: should have probably got ready for that. Uh, It's It's right. Well you never know until you get on here. It's kinda, you know. Yeah, we're kinda just shooting from the hip, you know. Yeah. Always, always shooting from the hip. So this should be Oh, spelled asteroid wrong.
1: (laughs) Asteroid. Nope, never mind. Two S's. It, no. That's it's the porn a, parody. It's the E-R. <laughs> Oh yeah, I yeah. know. I always I'm always tempted to do the same thing like asteroid. Yeah. You know? Is it asteroid?
0: Asteroid. So do we as like Michiganders just skip the E? I think we do. Okay. I just say asteroid. There's a... yeah, someone like when you talk about Toronto, mm-hmm. they always go Toronto.
1: Yeah, like there's no out, there's no second T. Yeah, yeah. So, or um Wednesday.
0: Wednesday.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. how I that's how I remember to spell it because I always just pronounce it like like there's no e in there. Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, like the ends before the like Wednesday. Like there might as well be a z in there. Yeah. Wednesday. Yes. You know.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Astro- asteroid city uh, starring well directed <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Seriously, dude, this is <laughs> I, I don't Wes Anderson's like getting up there with frickin', uh Nolan. No, I mean, Nolan gets some prominent characters, but normally keeps it within like four or five. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not, it's, I, we just talked about him last time. Um, The guy that directed Ocean's Eleven. It's, oh, Soderbergh? Yeah, Soderbergh. Soderbergh always has those ensemble casts and he gets everyone in there. And I, I I just, all right, let let me do this and then we can get into like how he got everyone in there. Yes. I don't really know how he did it. It's just marveling. Um, Directed by Wes Anderson, starring Jason Schwartzman as Augie Steinbeck and James Hall? Jones Hall? The secondary character he played. Oh, uh, yeah. Jones Hall. Jones Hall. Uh, Scarlett Johansson as Midge. Midge Campbell. Midge Campbell. Oh, yeah.
1: Midge Campbell. Midge Campbell. Oh.
0: <laughs> Midge Campbell. Uh, Tom Hanks as Stanley Zach. Jeffrey Wright as General Gibson. Brian Cranston, who we've not seen in a while, which was a delight as the host. Mm-hmm. Edward Norton as Conrad Earp. And uh, then you get into some of the uh, uh, lesser known characters or some of the smaller parts with the with the kids. Uh, Leif Schreiber's in there as J.J. Mm-hmm. Kellogg. And uh, I really liked Montana. Rupert Friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he was a delight in this thing. So Uh, Asteroid City opens up with Cranston as the host, talking about kind of like what we're about to see in the the making of Asteroid City and the kind of inner workings and the production and the writing and and what goes into it. And then we actually see Asteroid City on film, Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a uh, group of stargazers, junior cadets that are going to Asteroid City for some of their awards for their work in science and astronomy. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. Um, and there's a, 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 a cre- creature that ends up visiting. And uh, we kind of, it's just how we deal with some of these uh, things that are happening with some really big events along with some traumatic events going on in life. So that's um, mm-hmm. about what I got for it.
1: The big, overarching, juxtaposed with the small and personal.
0: Yeah. So I was definitely curious as uh you know hear
1: your takes on stuff um okay well we'll just get into it then (laughs) i i feel the same way in terms of like my opinion of this movie i feel the same way i do about it that i did the french dispatch okay where i love everything that's going on technically yes love the visuals the the set design of course the production design in any wes anderson movie is going to be like immaculate minus maybe like bottle rocket because that's his mo like that's his first feature movie and it's like super low budget yes and it's a different kind of vibe a little bit than what he goes for when he finds his style um everything going on in terms of like the technical aspects i love like it's it's probably one of the best color graded movies i think i've seen from him love that phrase because like, i
0: hadn't thought about it
1: like it's it's super fucking pretty But in terms of the characters and my connection with them and the story and what's going on, obviously, for me, I'm not necessarily as pulled into it as something like Grand Budapest Hotel or Moonrise Kingdom or Fantastic Mr. Fox, where I feel like the character writing in those movies is really well done and complements the style very nicely. Yes. Because... It has a similar cadence to the way the characters talk in this film where they're kind of like fast speaking. They're very articulate. They they say everything with a purpose and it's very punctual. Yep. But at the same time, and I rewatched Grand Budapest uh, yesterday. I, sh- I, I showed Megan and she really loved it too. And um, those characters to me are written a little more diversely. Than something like Asteroid City or the French Dispatch where a lot of the characters and we talked about this when we talked about French Dispatch. Yes. They have a lot of the same cadence. Uh, A lot of it can border on being repetitive. Whereas in Grand Budapest or Fantastic Mr. Fox, those characters to me are distinct and different enough for me to get some varied amount of enjoyment Mm -hmm. between like the way those characters interact with each other and the way the film works on a technical level. A great. I, I, this is, it was very peculiar to me because I love everything he said
0: about the set designs, about the color grade, about how it looks, how it sounds, how it feels. Like it's a very art, 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 artistically done film. It's very sharp. Like when you mm-hmm. talk about acute angles, like there's nothing that's really rounded besides some of the the prop designs yeah you know everything's very straight and narrow um so it's very easy on the eyes and when the colors pop out like that everything's very distinct mm-hmm. but um <laughs> throughout this film i kept like wanting to pull out my phone and see what time it was and i thought it was very it's it's polarizing because like i'm involved with the film and at the same token i'm like i don't know how i feel about the film so it's like time's dragging on mm-hmm. it's only an hour and 45 minutes um and I realized it's all the characters are devoid of emotion. Like we're dealing, you're in a vacuum when you're looking at this stuff. And it's almost like you can only stare at something for so long before it kind of becomes part of the scenery. Mm-hmm. And the characters were to me of that ilk, you know? And I, I was talking to, uh, you know, the wonderful Jasmine about it last night. Cause I saw it yesterday. And, uh, I was like it's it's also hard to care about what's happening in Asteroid City because we know it's been written out already and that their their lives in here are like of a linear ascent. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of it's any emotional conflict, any sort of conflict whatsoever, it's already been written out and we know that there is a, a see-through. Mm-hmm. You know, like we are going to get to that kind of end ending landscape and it's probably nothing bad will happen. So you're also dealing with that, and then you got some of the traumatic things going on with characters trying to deal with it or mm-hmm. understand it, you know? And it's been written out, so we're not really seeing any one person having some sort of epiphany.
1: Well, not, and, not only is it... I, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, you're sorry. good. Not only is it like all written out with it being in the format of a play and everything like we kind of know where everything's going already just like the the way the characters talk to each other and like the lack of emotion like you touched on earlier yeah, it's, just- it's just it's not what helps me connect with what's going on with the characters or with the story like when the, the daughters are talking or when the daughters and the son are talking to Augie about their mom passing away and they have that conversation that's like the most I feel emotional this movie gets and it doesn't really get emotional with that scene very much anyway because they just speak to each other in a way that's very just flat toned there's not really any elevation of emotion or or, right, like vocal disparity like there's not a whole lot going on in terms of like the characters dealing with the situation in a way where you feel like they're actual human beings it just feels like they're and maybe maybe this is purposefully done because it's formatted in a, a play and it's written out on a script but at the same time i feel like i need something in order for me to get some level of enjoyment from it like you take a scene from grand budapest where m gustav is in prison and zero goes to visit him and there he's talking about like his experience in prison like that's one of the first scenes in the movie where you feel you like get kind of a sense of weakness from m gustav because he puts on this whole like facade of like being this fancy hotel concierge and he's always got everything under control and then you get to know his character and you realize this guy's fucking chaotic all the time yes and he's overly confident and he's cocky and he's super fucking vain but that gives him character that gives him an emotional grounds to jump off of and from there you get a good sense of like who this guy is and you love the relationship he has with zero and there's emotion to it. there's like actual it actually feels like you're being invested in a character rather yes. than than actors reading lines from a script you know yeah
0: that thousand percent i I think that there was some sort of uh there might have been some sort of we had the juxtaposition between uh, the characters on screen versus their real life with Conrad Erby and the writer. I don't know if it had something to do with uh you know, and a religious overtone with God, perhaps. And, you know, this is, it's been written out this way. So we're actually seeing life portrayed as God had written it out. And, you know, if destiny gets involved, I have no idea. Yeah. You know, I, there was some, there was a couple things like, uh, you know, you can't sleep if you're, you can't wake up if you're not asleep. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Yeah. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Like that turned into a, a some sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say through line, but like, you know, like meaning of the movie. Like, I it felt like they were, it was for a purpose, but also I also was like, it's not rewarding enough for me. No. You know, I I, I, I I did some reading on it, and one of them was dealing with events and, and understanding that you have to sometimes lose control in order for things to make sense mm-hmm. and understand that not everything's in your control. So that was kind of why they were chanting. That was that you can't you can't wake up. Essentially, you're not gonna be able to see some of the problems that you you that you may have to deal with if you don't fall asleep. As mm-hmm. in, like, you know, so but I was like, I it, they they didn't. There was no emotional <laughs> conflict going on for me to elicit that in me. I never felt like anyone had control or zero control over what was going on. Just yeah. because like no one seemed to get upset, and then they they do it in these like wacky zany ways to try to you know, get you to understand that there is rife in in what's going on
1: in Asteroid City with the quarantine, but I was like, no one really seemed pissed off. No one seemed pissed off, and, and like you said, like, you kind of mentioned it earlier a little bit when it, it there's like no... It doesn't feel like... You said something that I forget exactly what you said, but it was like something towards like, it doesn't feel like it's leading up to anything or like yeah. building up to anything. I totally got that sense with this movie in terms of like just the conclusion, because normally with a Wes Anderson film you get some kind of either build-up or like some kind of like lateral movement towards something that ends in like a chaotic chase scene or uh like a like a action scene of some kind like these characters going against each other like you get that in fantastic mr fox grand budapest moonrise kingdom like you have to save a character dangling off from somewhere like it's it's fun in that way because it feels like it's earned and then you get this movie you get like the quick scene of them all going chaotic when they're told that they have to stay in quarantine a second time and then after that it stops for like it stops after like a minute and then you don't get much of anything after that and the the conclusion of the movie just felt like really anticlimactic
0: yeah I so I I don't know (laughs) like okay like let's let's say you're dealing with some sort of existential crisis you know and it's like always as a character in the film uh you understand that maybe you have no purpose whatsoever or whatever pers- purpose given to you has already been written out mm-hmm. right there's no freak out yeah there's no sort of like I would have loved them for them to break like the fourth wall and been like talking to us you know and like even breakthrough like i know that i'm an actor in that film and i know i'm an actor in this film but honestly at the end of the day i don't know what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and then like look at us and like kind of have that sort of epiphany right Mm -hmm. there's you're dealing with these things and these complex ideas that these people may or may not understand but there's no like freak out there's no sort of emotion i mean like it's just that's why i think i think At the end of the day, if we're not really drawn in by what's going on on the screen with the characters, like you can love everything that you're about, but like you don't spend an hour and a half just staring at pictures of the jungle. Mm -hmm. You spend 10 minutes and then your imagination kind of goes somewhere else. Yeah. You know, like you need a little bit more. So, I mean, that's where I don't know if he's getting in where he's writing these things up as a more grounded, like I don't want to say grounded in reality, but talking about it yesterday i was like the flare-ups that you see may or may not be like what you'd see with typical humans but even with us i mean like we've had like two outbursts you know and we've been hanging out for what two hours
1: yeah you know and we've had two or three outbursts our conversation has been more emotional than (laughs) yeah like (laughs) than anything in asteroid city that's
0: what i'm saying so i mean that's and that it will suck you out of it you know I, well and i don't want to say that for everyone because i bet you there are people that probably love this film and
1: oh there are and i'm not saying i dislike it at all like it's,
0: I, I agreed i will say that too before we we are
1: saying some of the you yeah know, what we i know didn't we're, like we're kind of ripping but, into it a little bit but yeah the, at the end of the day it was enjoyable i you mean know? for
0: the most yeah I, I i like i i didn't bust out my phone but like i i did like some like i like conrad erp Mm -hmm. You know, and I love Bryan Cranston in this thing. He's just, anytime he popped on screen, I was always excited.
1: The only thing with this movie that I can maybe kind of, not necessarily forgive it, but it makes a little more sense to me than French Dispatch is that because it's formatted in a stage play, script oriented kind of way that the characters would speak like that. Whereas French Dispatch, it's being told through the lens of like a magazine column where I think... Where when an actor is reading a script, a lot of the performance and a lot of the emotionality they bring to it is what they can come up with for whatever line they're reading. Mm -hmm. So if you're just getting a line from a script by itself, you can easily read it in almost any way you want to and it could just be devoid of any emotion unless you apply it to the scene you're shooting. Right. Whereas French Dispatch, if you're looking at it from the lens of a magazine the author has personality they have their own voice to it they're writing it in a way where they're supposed to put their own flavor and their own kind of spin on the story but it doesn't really help in french dispatch when every story has a very similar cadence every character talks the exact same way
0: it is through the same author so i guess i'd be the only
1: right didn't they bill they were, murray was kind of the one bill that, murray was the head editor but there oh, were everyone three did. different yeah. there are three different authors for each story right and you get a little bit of it with the narration cuz I think they narrate each separate story to some degree. Like yeah. I know Jeffrey Rush narrated the last like chef part of it. Jeffrey Wright? Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Who's Jeffrey Rush? Jeffrey Rush is Pirates of the Caribbean. That's right. <laughs>
0: no, that's Rush.
1: Oh. <laughs> no, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what i mean like it, yes. it, it's it can i can see it make a little more sense in asteroid city that's not to say that i'm a huge fan of it or that i would rather have emotionalist characters because i'd rather have characters that i can connect with obviously well, would you would you rather have certain outbursts like
0: tastefully done if you will or strategically done right or would you rather have it be completely devoid of emotion
1: uh, certain outbursts would be a little bit better for me to. <laughs> I also have some variety with the way the characters speak, so that I don't get sick of the repetitive nature of it, and for me to connect to on but an emotional. I, I level. I
0: honestly think that's why I liked Montana so much. Yeah, because he was he was the only one that was unique to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and the way he came in, and yeah, he delivered lines, but he had like the, his you know cowboy Texas accent, I guess. I'm sorry, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, but like the. The other scene that I thought was really funny that like stuck out with me is Tom Hanks talking with Jason Schwartzman. And, um, you know, Hanks is going on about how he didn't love him, but he would do anything for his daughter, so blah, 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 blah. And uh, Schwartzman hits him with something, and then Hanks like wants to
1: strangle him. Yeah, he goes like... Arr! yeah i laughed out i was like oh wow there we go that caught me off guard just because it's the only it's like one of the few times where a character actually has emotion in the yeah. scene that's why i like laughed i like laughed i was like if they would have had more a little bit more of that that's know? what you get with grand budapest that's what you get with fantastic mr fox you get these moments where the characters kind of step outside of themselves and they go yeah. like i'm gonna act really fucking weird right now yeah and but it's gonna it's gonna give you something to work from you know
0: it's really and it 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 shows that they're human i think i you know and i yeah it fits in with the mold of what he was writing and what he was going for i i still think that they're i don't know i it just he's getting wes anderson's getting like authentic like pretty authentic Mm -hmm. like you know like kind of keeping everything very close to how it was so if like you're pulling a uh from the 50s. And that's how your perspective is on it. And that's how you viewed it as what would be going on in a 1950s, you know, twilight zone, like whatever, you know. And that's kind of how you saw it. And it's like, well, we'll make it a little bit more dry to make it maybe more humorous. And I don't know if
1: people. I don't. Do you. The, I'm just spinning here, but do you think people laughed at how dry it was? Oh, there are people in my theater that were chuckling heartily at a lot of what was going on in this movie. Really? Yeah, like yeah. they were having a good time, and I mean, of course, there were scenes that I found funny, but not nearly to the degree that they were. Yeah. And there were some there, like I said, I'm going to keep comparing it to Grand Budapest. Like watching that movie yesterday really just cemented my opinion that it's the best Wes Anderson movie that I've seen. I yes, I've won. Like, I 100% agree cuz I I it's like the only Wes Anderson film I own just in terms of like the humor too cuz it's just super funny like the well, way that Ralph Fiennes performs that character and how he bounces off other characters, he's
0: such a clod, but he also has a very like it. You know, friends that have like a lot of money, but they aren't as smart as what they're portraying. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the that's always the vibe I got from him. Yeah, was that he's always way in over his head, but he's keeping afloat and he has such a fucking. Um, self-confidence about himself that he doesn't even recognize you know he's
1: just a big fucking goofball that doesn't think he's a goofball at all
0: and zero does a great job of being the grounded act you know the grounded sidekick yeah
1: like allows you to see how drastically different you know he is from everyone else and wes anderson can have characters that have that same cadence because zero could totally fit into the world of asteroid city because Mm -hmm. every character acts like he does in Grand Budapest Hotel. The only difference is he has a different personality to bounce off of. yeah. And it feels like that kind of character writing is more warranted in Grand Budapest for his character than it is in any character in Asteroid City. Yes. I think uh, I wanted to ask you about the ensemble cast Mm -hmm. of not only this movie, but like French Dispatch and like possibly just other filmmakers in general who have like a large notable cast do you find it distracting at all when you're watching a movie like that when characters just come up for, like, a scene or two? But it's, like, Willem Dafoe or Adrian Brody or big actors that you've seen in, like, leading roles in movies before, but they're just utilized very minimally. And I don't know. To me, with this movie (laughs) specifically, it can get a little distracting in terms of, like, who they choose to play what character. Dude, I mean, he's... I feel Wes Anderson has a brand. He's nailed
0: his own brand. It's a Wes Anderson film. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a, you know, this isn't an action film. This isn't a, you know, drama. It's a Wes Anderson film. So like when you have that that sort of branding amongst yourself, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I think he's leaning into it as hardcore as you possibly can. And I think people I got to imagine he's a good dude or he knows a lot of these people's agents because like you know there's a couple people that popped up in this one i mean defoe like i was like oh okay you know like i should have expected him being in this you know uh jeff goldblum pops up you mm-hmm. know she, like i was like oh i didn't see that but he's in every wes anderson film so like i don't know if uh, over the years you just kind of become buddy buddy with people and they're like sure i'll hop in you know like that'd be like a fun time to hang out with the cast like yeah so i don't i don't it, No, it doesn't bug me at all. I never have an issue and I never find it um, uh, uh, distracting Distracting. because I always view it more so as a real life event, you know, whereas like I'm friends with so-and-so, so so I'm going to have so-and-so in my film like zeros in this thing. Mm-hmm. he literally has like five speaking lines yeah like i kind of was watching him i was like what happened to his act tony career? ravioli yeah is that his real name it's it's reveroli but oh, i like to call him ravioli i was about cause... to say this is like teddy spaghetti
1: yeah um rest in peace
0: yeah <laughs> uh you know like yeah, i was like oh like he's in this thing like i don't know if wes anderson's like hey man like you haven't been doing well we'll hook you up with some money like come on we'll uh-huh. pay you you know or Goldblum's been in a lot of his films. Like, hey, you know, would you like to be in this? Because uh, wasn't Daniel Craig like one of the Star Wars? He was like a he was like storm- an extra. He was like a
1: stormtrooper. Just because he he
0: loved being, he probably just wanted to be on set. It's mm-hmm. like one of those things too, where you're you're you have a lot of respect for the guy and what they do, and you kind of want to see how they do it.
1: Yeah, you know, so- I totally understand that, and he has every right to do what he wants with the cast of his movies. Like if if he. If he has that type of pull, obviously, I would probably want to take advantage of it, too. But with this movie specifically, and I'm thinking mostly in terms of, like, Willem Dafoe and Adrian Brody and how their characters are used. I don't know. When you have a cast like that, it almost feels like it can... I don't want to say wasted potential, but maybe you're not necessarily utilizing those actors to the best that they could bring to the table. And a lot of it is just, like, my own personal subjective opinion. It's a lot of just, like, what i personally would have liked to see yeah but when i see willem Dafoe or adrian brody in a movie i'd like to see them perform as a character or like bring it <laughs> bring it bring an actual like performance to it and not just something where you see him in a scene for like two minutes and then they're gone i don't know that's just how i feel about it i didn't know if you had a similar thought process or if you felt totally different i i think the only thing that it does is that it
0: it might bug me where I would think like, oh, he could have gave that to a young up and coming person or someone that's maybe a little bit more down on their luck, mm-hmm. you know. Like you could, I feel like you could have plugged Brendan Fraser in that role as the director. Yeah, you know, like it's just one of those things where it's like maybe they took, you know, some bread from someone else just because they're buddy buddies and they want to get him in here. But other than that, no, I, I never really, yeah,
1: get too. Sh- too caught up in it, and I think that's where a lot of my issue with it lies is that you could have gotten anybody to play that character, and it wouldn't have made much of a difference. Like I really like Jason Schwartzman as Augie Stein Steinbeck. Stein. I
0: thought it was Steinbeck because I thought it was it's like
1: Steinbeck because it's two e's. Yeah, I like him a lot as that character, and I think he fits that role very well. Mm-hmm. But. Adrian Brody's character, you could have gotten Edward Norton to play that character. Or you could have gotten Laura well, Defoe already, to play that character. Already had a character I know. You know? <laughs> Maybe you couldn't get him. But you could you could get like any competent actor to play adrian brody's character and it wouldn't have mattered really at all right you know well they are i mean you're also dealing with emotionalist people so true very true the writing style does not really help in that department
0: well i'm saying like yeah you i think anyone probably could have played it the way he played it yeah you know like there isn't like Hey, man, you're, you're a 1950s director, tin can director, all right? Smoke grits, keep care of yourself, and you love everything that walks in front of you. Like, mm-hmm. let bring that panache to the fucking screen. It's just like, do what everyone else is doing. Follow suit, you know, your wife's going to walk away, and you're going to be upset, but you're going to take it in stride. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, yeah, anyone, that's why, it,
1: whatever. <laughs> I know we've been kind of ripping on this movie a little bit. Was there anything we wanted to say in terms of positives? I feel like a lot of it applies to Wes Anderson's other films where it looks visually great. The music choices I really liked. Uh, I thought Pot. they fit with the tone of Yeah. like the 1950s, you know. And uh, yeah, like I said, all the technical aspects I love. And I would never despite like the writing style and like how some of the acting can be kind of samey, I would never say that the acting is bad obviously when you get a cast like that they're all it's obvious it can't be bad because it it holds your interest for Mm as you know
0: baseline as it can possibly be yeah um no i mean i i my my positives brian cranston phenomenal Mm -hmm. you know and and i know he's just playing the part of the host but like it's been such a long time since i've seen cranston in a film he was cast uh excellently in this because he's got a good voice oh yeah it did perfect you know and he hits he hits some of those notes and he can kind of like allude to some of what's going to happen like even with his emotions like some of the mystery you know sometimes it's really hard to be mysterious uh, he he does it he's always got that pitch in his voice that kind of like leaves you like wondering what's going to happen next or he'll hit you with the low note and you kind of like oh uh-uh, oh this is going to be a little ominous you know um Rupert Friend uh montana yeah i absolutely loved him i uh, anytime that dude came on screen he always had like the really wacky and zany 1950s kind of like one-liners you know Mm -hmm. but uh it was he just he had that he had that twang about him that was fun and like anytime he stepped in to talk you know (laughs) like never you it self assured but never like uh cocky yeah you know so mm-hmm. i always loved like when he came in and he was talking about the aliens and he's calming down the kids about it and he uh-huh. goes off on his little tangent and it's never like hey we're going to you know we're we're saying f you to all these aliens and we'll take these suckers down it's like know what you can just trust that the government's gonna take care of you and that you know we've never lost a war <laughs> right like i loved like it was just you know like it was just like hey like don't worry about it and then when that kid i i with had a kid smoking a cigarette yeah like i was like whoa that kind of tells you where we're at i know um i like tom
1: hanks quite a bit
0: he was good too mm-hmm. i it you know i don't I don't think anyone was like bad, I, and I don't that's know, what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think anyone was miscast. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there was any point where I kind of would look and say, "Oh, you could have got that person, or that person could have been in here." Now, granted, like I said, I mean it's all pretty close to baseline.
1: So, I mean, they should have switched uh, Steve Carell and Scarlett Johansson's uh, roles. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Steve Carell sitting there in the tub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just popping a bunch of pills yeah <laughs> uh scarlett johansson with a visor <laughs> yeah
0: yeah he was pretty fun too and the whole the whole land kept a uh, becoming more and more humorous to mm-hmm. me yeah like it turned into it was like yeah you can buy property and then it was uh you can buy property to have stock in property mm-hmm. and then it turned into you're pretty much buying your own billboard as a marketing campaign when the thousands of people start showing up mm-hmm. Like it probably your uh the 1950s ponzi scheme is yeah. what he was running
1: <laughs> right you know uh was there anything we wanted to say about asteroid city that we haven't already
0: no, I I I you know I like I said, I enjoyed it. I mm-hmm. and I like what what we're kinda I think for me what I'm I'm razzing on is a little bit more upset that this movie had a little bit more potential as I saw it. Mm-hmm. Now granted I'm not a filmmaker, I'm just a guy sitting on a microphone. Um so that's why it was a little bit infuriating to me, is just that there was just it was so fucking close, you know. And just to kind of miss out on some of the juiciness that was there with some of the conflict that was going on that they just brushed past, it felt like. And granted, I know that it's a playwright and it's already been written out, so you're kind of seeing it as as talked about, you know, but mm-hmm. it's it was it was just weird to me that there's like a lot of talks about emotional strife, you know, and yet there's no emotional conviction.
1: Yeah. You know. That's that's very eloquently put. I like the way you worded that. Yeah um we can get into ratings then yeah uh i pretty much feel the same way i'm gonna give this a seven out of ten nice uh overall liked it i feel very similarly about it as i do french dispatch i don't think i've ever given a wes anderson film a negative rating and i'm a big fan of his filmography in general but this one more kind of in the middle lower tier for me personally okay yeah i actually i gave this so i went eight out of ten
0: Nice. And this is, you know, if you're picking up on how I rate things, this is a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more keeps you uh, uh, your attention. You know, uh, there's a little bit of a little bit of meat on the bone with what's going on and kind of your own thoughts about, you know, how to craft in your own interpretation of what he's given us, uh, even though it's somewhat of a straight line story. I just um, dropped
1: my phone, so forgive me. Kyle's not liking what he's hearing. Uh, <laughs> that just sent me in a state of shock.
0: <laughs> well, you know, so I, this to me, this is like this is an eight out of ten. It's a little bit higher on it, but I think that's just because of you know who I am as a viewer and what really grabs my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm not. A, a, I like his work. I like what Wes Anderson does. I don't think usually he's one of the guys where it's like I don't usually have a lot of gripes about what's going on. You know i i think this to me this is lower than the or higher than the french dispatch in Mm -hmm. terms of recent movies that i've seen of him but uh yeah i'd have to check out a little bit more of his filmography to get
1: you know a little bit more of a pulse on how i feel about him overall understandable understandable speaking of pulse uh Mm -hmm. pulse is an indication of life and life can be often referred to as the dawn of man. And that was a segment in the movie called 2001, a space odyssey. Let's go on our own odyssey, Kyle. Exactly. An odyssey of <laughs> friendship and uh, verbal acknowledgement. <laughs> I love you. Um, <laughs> so this was a film I recommended, uh, 2001, a space odyssey. It was... Directed by Stanley Kubrick. Screenplay by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clark, who authored the novelization of 2001, A Space Odyssey. I was reading about that before you showed up, so hopefully I retained enough knowledge to carry some of this conversation a little bit. Let's go. Uh, starring Kier Dulia as Dr. David Bowman. I can't do that, Dave. Uh, Gary Lockwood as Dr. Frank Poole. William Sylvester as Dr. Haywood Floyd. Uh, Daniel Richer as Moonwatcher, which is the uh, monkey, the cool. ape, ape guy at the beginning. Nice. And uh, Douglas Rain as the voice of Hal 9000. Yes. And uh, this film is a science fiction film. Starts out with a 20-minute segment of apes and the sort of evolutionary themes going on with the discovery of weapons and the concept of how to use them and where it could potentially take that species further into its evolutionary standpoint. And then it cuts to uh, space, as Tim Curry uh, lovingly is quoted saying, uh, and follows the technological advancement of uh, oh, if you hear fireworks, uh, forgive me. I have the window open. <laughs> we're yeah, we're doing it live. This is it's around Fourth of July that we're recording this a little bit. Like Fourth of July is tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, people are celebrating a little bit early. Yeah. A little bit early. We'll find out if there's uh, if it you know in post. Yeah, if it affects the quality, it might. It might you'll definitely still hear us more prominently, but you know there might be a little bit more of a celebratory tone what if going there on. Messages in those fireworks, oh, kind of like, like Morse code. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's the sub. They've, well, I was thinking about like they warp found the it.
0: worlds, you know, where like they zap in the lightning. Lightning never strikes in the same place twice, and it's just the aliens getting shot down. Mm-hmm. Like those things pop out, and there's little messages in there.
1: Yeah, you know, it's the little alien from uh, Asteroid City. oh it's that little dude. oh i'd love that yeah he's a little cutie yeah Um, that's
0: a picture actually that's a other shirt that i want is that picture just on a shirt
1: of like him standing there holding the meteorite yeah looking with his eyes it's it gives me the same vibe as like that bigfoot picture where it's like super fuzzy and grainy and it's like it's like the video where like it's kind of it's like a still of it and he stops and he's like just kind of walking (laughs) you know it gives me that same vibe yes um But uh, going back to the movie itself, uh, before we were distracted by Celebrations. um, ADHD. I know. Exactly. I I don't know what HD is, but the doctor says I got 80 of them bitches. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I have to credit Matt, my coworker, for that one. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. Shout out to Matt. Um, No, so it cuts from the ape storyline to... Uh, technological advancement of men, space travel has become a commodity and an everyday thing for many high class citizens and uh, space travel and all that. And uh, it follows Dr. Haywood Floyd as uh, or Floyd Haywood. I think it is no Haywood Floyd. I got it right the first time uh, as Bonus he's points. giving a speech about a potential discovery that's happened on the moon and uh they go and investigate it and then it cuts from that storyline to uh david bowman and frank Poole, doctors on the spaceship journeying to jupiter for a mission that they're on they're, accompanied yeah. by hal 9000 There, uh you're gonna it, go through the whole thing or their ai computer system <laughs> <laughs> uh and that's where i'm gonna stop yeah before. i was gonna
0: say it really is there's only what 30 minutes of dialogue in this thing so it's not even maybe easy just uh it how long is it it's there's a 99 or 100 minutes of non-dialogue scenes
1: yeah out of a 143 minute runtime yeah so uh yeah there you go just do the quick math and you have that yeah you have a (laughs) nice short story on your hands (laughs) no uh, i recommended this because it is highly regarded as one of the best films of all time uh, a lot of people view it as very revolutionary in terms of the way we view science fiction films and a lot of people consider it ahead of its time in terms of like the technology that went into it the visuals the concepts a lot of the themes that went into it uh the stylistic choices like it's super fucking it's got a lot going for it, you know. It's So much so that I can't even find the right words for it. Super fucking,
0: it's right super fucking. Yeah, you think you'd really like the end think of that I'd one. Hit didn't? the doobie.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, you think I'd be tripping balls towards the end of this movie? Oh
0: my god, I completely forgot
1: about that and how long it went on for. I didn't realize that um, this movie had the ape scene in it. Like, oh. I, I've seen, I've watched that scene referenced in plenty of different Oh, it's iconic. There's,
0: there's, uh, the whole film's iconic.
1: I've seen, I've seen that clip before, and I yeah. didn't know that it was from 2001 A Space Odyssey. I thought it was going to go more into like just the space aspect of it right from the get go. Yeah. We had a, we
0: had a, we had a book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must, no plug here, A Thousand and One Movies You Must Watch Before You Die. Mm hmm. And uh, that was on there. And that image of the ape, when it flings, it's kind of like coming de- bashing down on the, on the bones. Mm-hmm. It was that picture. So I hadn't watched this until 2015, I want to say. Yeah. And like I was like the, the fucking meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, where he's pointing. Leo pointing at it. Yeah, that was me when that popped up. And I was like, oh, great. Like that happened within the first five minutes of this film well probably it wasn't five i think i audibly
1: said to myself like oh wait this is in this movie yeah i didn't know that that's cool
0: yeah there was there's a there's a bunch of you know there's probably a couple things that you see in here and things that i mean depending on what you do with life that you don't see like the stargate scene so Mm -hmm. um yeah (laughs) yeah so what 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 initial thoughts i mean you get you get
1: two hours and Oh, yeah. 43
0: um, minutes, 23 minutes well, of...
1: where do you begin with a movie like this? Very tough. Dawn because of Man. there's so much going for it, and there's not a lot going on in terms of... <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't say that. I, I, I want to preface by saying, like, I really like this movie. And oh. Oh. I think that visually it's stunning way ahead of its time. Like you said in the last episode, you can tell it's an older film from the 1960s, but it introduces a lot of cinematography and visual style that was really ahead of its time yes like super fucking well done i love how it's put together and how it does tell a visual narrative in a way like a, like you said a lot of the dialogue is used sparingly uh there's not a lot in terms of like characters or things being said or like you being spoon fed any information a lot of it is just what you take in from a visual standpoint and from an audio standpoint because the music is very iconic too yeah in the way that it's used um especially in the uh stargate scene but um (laughs) you know in terms of like how i feel about it as a movie you know it is one of those things where like When I watch a movie, I do like to have some sort of emotional connectivity with the characters or the story or whatever else is going on. And I did have that to some degree. Like, I definitely did have that through the visuals and everything going on on screen. But in terms of, like, the characters and everything like that, you're not going to find many of that or much of that in this movie. There's no
0: crossover crossover or carry-on, maybe besides Dr. Dave. See the yeah. one that made it? Yeah. Floyd, he's he's the like one the that...
1: main character who's like <laughs> introduced 40 minutes in maybe.
0: Yeah, if you go in terms of like the monoliths and their introduction or when you discover them, he's the only one that makes it into the next segment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and it's kind of funny because like if you think about like a, an antagonist, it's not really until Hal pops up that you even have one.
1: Yeah, and obviously the way you view this film and interpret it, you can view it in a way where maybe he is like a little more innocent than what the film is necessarily portraying. Just thinking about like how AI works and artificial intelligence and the, the concept of like free thinking and uh, like a, a computer system having emotions, you know? Yeah. And that's what I, that's one of the things I love about this movie is that it introduces those concepts for a movie that came out in the 1960s, you know, obviously I think with like some Philip K. Dick novels, you would get a little bit of that, but introducing it in the film sphere, yeah, I don't think was really a thing until this movie came around. I could be wrong. I don't know if... No, I think
0: there's probably you probably have back at that time, and this is only speculation because I'm not smart and I haven't read up on this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I read a little bit about it. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying this, but I'm saying like if you're talking science fiction you might have had maybe a little bit of thought process with ai like Mm -hmm. i gotta imagine that was around of the time but like science fiction when it when it delved into space it was kind of like colonizing space or was dealing with extraterrestrial beings and maybe not necessarily looking at a higher power or how space and time are kind of interwoven together Mm -hmm. and you know you're dealing with like uh you know AI, which is prop was probably a very foreign concept of the time. Like obviously there were computers about. I mean, we were NASA was taking off. I think after this film, they did land on the moon. If I remember right, I think this came before the lunar landing, which is insane. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, like I'm saying, like you still, so, so you still had computers, the ability to process vast amounts of information within seconds. Mm-hmm. You know. And it's it's just interesting to me that you kind of take that next step of, well, can they process emotions? So then you get a little bit more into the religious aspect of it that everyone's kind of falls into of, you know, are we free or are we of destiny? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, do we really have? And it's it ties a lot of the, some bigger concepts, higher
1: themes together. Some like sort of self-fulfilling prophecy stuff going on. With the way the storyline between Hal and the the Frank and Dave play out, yeah, because the the only reason that they're hesitant of of Hal is because he's showing signs of faulty. And it's mentioned to them from uh, another uh, like spaceship that they're having issues with their Hal system. so then they discuss a way to maybe like circumvent Hal or to like shut him down because he's showing signs of having fault and then because HAL is reading their lips he gathers what they're going to do and so he ultimately like i said it's a self fulfilling prophecy he ultimately proves them right by being a, a menace and an antagonistic figure towards them like he purposefully kills one of the astronauts essentially and Four then Oh yeah that's right cuz there's the ones in the 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 yeah. hibernation Yeah. Um i almost forgot about those. So yeah, he kills four astronauts and then he's he almost kills Dave pretty damn close. Pretty damn close and then Dave shuts him down. And Oh my god. You talk
0: about like uh like uh nightmare fuel when
1: he's when he's being shut down and his voice Dave. goes real slow. Not even
0: that Dave, I'm losing I'm losing my memory. I Dave, I'm losing. I'm
1: I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm
0: afraid. I'm afraid. I'm losing my memory. I'm afraid. Yeah. Like just sitting there talking as he's like, God, I fucking keep going. Yeah. I you know, know. <laughs> like, dude, it's like it'd literally be like if you're in war and you stabbed an enemy and it's like you're you get you're accepting death in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it's like the guy's just praying to his mom and praying to, you know, Jesus and like like fucking All quiet on the western front. That's exactly
1: what I was thinking. That scene in
0: the pit. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just sitting there, and it's just like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I don't want to die. I'm losing my grasp on everything I can feel. it slowly fading, and you're just sitting there like
1: okay yeah (laughs) like sorry man yeah but i mean at the same time he forced him into a corner like there's not much else he can do yeah i mean darwinism you know well or however you want to view it i mean we're all viruses i have to continue on so i mean darwinism ties into the sort of evolutionary storyline that's displayed at the beginning of the movie yeah so i could see that being like a central theme purposefully put in there for sure
0: there was i you know and and with a movie like this i I, i've always viewed it as sort of i keep bringing up existentialism um existentialism existent what did i say existentialism yeah extension that's what i say about my omelet that's okay (laughs) nope uh (laughs) Moving on. I was trying to think of something with egg and fantastic.
1: Mm. You you have egg on your face right now, don't
0: oh. you? Oh, yeah. Um, so I talked to, talked to my brother about this one too, and he gave me a, um, a little bit of a, a fascinating insight that he's read somewhere. Where um, if you look at kind of man turning over in the evolution of man and some religious um, timelines. Built in with where we were at with you know um, BC going into AD Mm -hmm. and uh, looking at the rebirth of Dave as the coming of maybe like an evil deity you know so I I kind of watching this one again I I was viewing it more so through the lens of are the monoliths evil Mm -hmm. you know bringing on. sort of chaos and destruction you know but for us to figure out with our own doing because like i think i was talking to uh the beautiful jasmine about this uh timelines like in history you know it's one of those it's a really and that's where parallel universes always kind of come in to see like what way something would have gone now obviously everything that's happened in life has led us to this point Mm -hmm. which i always find fascinating but like you're looking at this film, and if you view it in of maybe different lens of that weapon being used for uh, evil and territory versus you know being used as sort of revolutionary and as what you know you can use with some of your tools, you know, or what you can use with weapons. Mm-hmm. You take that first act, and then you get into the second one where you get into space, you know, and from one of the things that you know I I I watched or read on was like. Uh, you're looking at the
1: monoliths as like progress for man. That's exactly how I pictured it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my takeaway from what those represented in the movie. So, right. And that's where, like,
0: that's one branch of thinking. And I, I mm. I'm sure that's, you know, I don't want to say right or wrong. I was viewing it as more as, as we kind of, as man, as man continue to grow and take over, you know? So, like, if you look at the moon, when they get to the moon and they find the monolith in the moon, it's not necessarily, um, you know building spaceships and getting out to the moon but more is colonizing space it's imperialism you know you're looking mm-hmm. at sort of still grasping that territory because i think f- there was a couple things that kept playing a part well so like territory was in the first two right obviously yeah the apes, obviously with the apes and then yeah and then you get into territory with man taking over the moon and colonizing the moon right yes so Go on, I, I don't want to, I mean, we're, we're talking here, Kyle. No, no, yeah. like,
1: I, I'm glad that you have that more specific lens of it, because to me, it didn't really go beyond uh, human evolution and the progress that man makes and how those monoliths kind of represent that. Yes. Because to me, it, this is, you know, only my first time watching it, too. The representation of the bone being used as a weapon, uh, going against the other ape tribe, and then, like that's kind of obviously supposed to imply human evolution from that point on and how we cuz like technology doesn't have to be contained to something that has electricity or that's a computer right. or what like technology can be as simple as developing a weapon or the technological. wheel the yeah. wheel was technology it's
0: revolutionary i mean you're looking at, at at modes that can reduce if, or increase efficiency right yeah. yeah
1: like the advancement of 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 human capability yes and I definitely that's kind of where I saw that being represented with those monoliths a little more because you got that and then you got the moon one where they're they're more apt towards going to Jupiter and exploring space a little bit more and then obviously with the uh, end with the last monolith uh, Dave is becoming like a sort of super being in a way
0: so hear me out okay. Okay.
1: Cause yeah, that's
0: how I you know that's how it's viewed. I was viewing it as, so, they the weapon comes about right, or mm-hmm. you know your your the technological advancement of using the bone for you know obviously high, like more capabilities than what it was probably uh, to, I don't want to say designed for, but what it was being used for at the time right. Mm-hmm. Instead of using it for good, they use it for evil. They take over right. They 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 get rid of that other ape tribe. Now you see the advancement of man, which was it would have been that ape tribe or the other one to the colonization of the moon, right? So now we get into imperialism. So now we're using these technological advancements, right, to take over more territory, claim more area for man to to continue to spawn, right? Mm-hmm. So then you get into the third one, and it's not really necessarily AI, but maybe AI saw the fault of man and where we were going and the evil of the nature and decided that we shouldn't keep branching out, yet we need to look for other areas in which for our growth. And what happens? Dave takes him out. So you have another entity, whether it's, you know, a computer or a human being destroyed for the advancement of man for the sole purpose of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you have the death, which and this is why I'm glad Sam brought it up. And the rebirth of them is kind of of be looking at as an evil deity, because all they understand within the birth of what they know and coming back, as long as they retain everything that they've learned up to that point, going back to where they
1: are, what are they going to perpetuate? Exactly. It's kind of that concept of can man keep advancing to the point where it just perpetuates itself and keeps climbing upwards or does it plateau in a way? Yeah. Is there ever a point where it becomes stagnant and the only way you can go besides the point where you're already at is downward, where it kind of like maybe it sort of introduces that concept of like inevitable destruction or like where else can you go besides down, you know?
0: Well, if if that's a path that you took, because it's all been Mm. growth to a point, but I think growth in a a negative way leads you to an end mark. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. you can only you can only be so destructive before the end all ends up consuming itself.
1: Yeah, right. So You're, either way, like it could just result in the end of things.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, if he if that that Star Child comes back and it perpetuates, you know, the think about it. I mean, using weapons for you know to take over, to keep taking, to keep taking. Eventually, it's going to consume itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a yeah. snake eating its tail you know eventually it's going to hit that mark. Mm-hmm. So that's where it was an interesting way to view it for me that time around. Yeah. You know. And I mean that's other than that I mean this movie I mean there's there's a lot of lot of venues you can take. I think there's a lot of I keep. I just. I'm so simplistic, but like thoughts that you can have as you're going through them. I mean, oh yeah, it there's really... diff- like
1: there's definitely different, multiple avenues and themes going on at the same time. Yes, like uh, they even have a big segment with. I think it's with uh, Haywood Floyd when he's going through like the, I don't want to say mall area of like the ship he's on, but it's I definitely think it very, supposed to be
0: like a terminal that would yeah. be like a representative of like an airport terminal.
1: Yeah, like kind of the more commercial aspect of this concept that really hadn't been thought about before mm-hmm. in movies in regards to like science fiction or space travel, like just the idea of commercializing space and this wondrous thing that's so vast and eternal and you could do like endless possibilities of you could still get a fucking coca-cola sponsorship up there somehow you know like I, i just love the idea of that being in the movie because it makes so much sense to me especially with the kind of commercial mindset that people coming out of the 50s had you know you see it represented in games like fallout or other media like that where like they retain that sort of nostalgic commercial sense mm-hmm. where it's like oh it's a, check out this brand new uh refrigerator wiper it's gonna mm-hmm. wipe down your refrigerator shelves you will it will be hands-free all the time like that yeah. sort of sense of commercialism being carried in this movie I, I I'm a fan of I really like it in the second yeah so I don't even
0: I I'd say this is 4 acts I mean like you get I mean, yeah. you just kind of go by each monolith right mm-hmm. and what they represent yeah. I mean maybe the fifth act if you'd say the at the Star Child scenes. They're definitely like points of reference
1: for sure. Yeah. When it comes to the movie's own timeline.
0: So is that was that your favorite the after we get the apes going to space and the commodity of space? I really like using I wouldn't
1: say that's my favorite. I just liked that it was in the movie. Yeah. I would say my favorite was probably the last part of the movie just with Star the Child, whole, like the Stargate stuff like the whole psychedelic <laughs> yeah, nature man. of it and, yeah, dude, I'm I'm far
0: out that song. so I actually it's funny too because I MGM I, by the way MGM they need to go back to their old logo that thing was sick
1: was that the one uh that wasn't the lion roaring was it Mm-mm, that it was a drawn out
0: picture of a lion but they use two different colors that they they it's kind of coming back now to show a lion's head okay but that it was just a circle with the lion's head in there it was like a blue and a yellow you know so you could see the lion mm. it, but it's not like a real i don't know if i
1: remember it too much
0: i was about to say but it was it just literally it was an underscore mgm and yeah. then it was a circle with a lion drawn in there but it was like a lion the, the mane and then the face and anyways that was awesome but um they were they were losing money on this thing right when it came out because I guess they. So I think I read it cost three million to make, uh, which nowadays is twelve million. Either that or it cost twelve million to make, and it would be whatever it was. But yeah, the budget I have uh, at the ready is ten point five million. So that's why like, I don't know if they adjusted for cost of inflation, like for whenever that post came out, or that. But any, either way, yeah, I'm not sure. It, it was a huge. It was. Right right away, a huge commercial flop. And yeah. I guess what ended up bringing more people in is that they would do a bunch of LSD or smoke pot and go to watch the Stargate scene.
1: <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I can imagine that would be a, a trend Yeah, that would yeah. happen in that day. <laughs> like if TikTok existed back then, be like, whoa, dude, I'm at the movies. Check this
0: out, <laughs> Stanley
2: Cooper.
1: Yeah, though that scene like in VIX, probably you know, with any
0: sort of high-end... <laughs> Like, you you, you know, it, I, I can only imagine what it would be like to be on, like, psychedelics or something to go through that. Because it's pretty, it's pretty outstanding just being sober going through it. I was
1: going to say, the whole time I was watching it, I was just wondering about the filmmaking of it, you know, like That's, how they yes. filmed it. And I could tell, like, to some degree they used liquids and everything, like, the way it was kind of flying towards the screen. It looked like buckets of liquid being poured down and mm-hmm. just, like, discolored in a way. Yeah and uh i read that it was like uh it was like a chemical pool that they had a bunch of different liquids in that they would just film and splash around or splash something. around like yeah just kind of get it to that perspective where it looks like you're flying through something yes and uh i don't i didn't get that far into reading about it before you got here before i could figure out exactly how they filmed it but I knew it had to be like liquids of some kind. Right. And so that was really cool to learn that I was a little bit right in a way. You believe know, that. Believe that. <laughs> um, I was more so reading about the uh, writing of it and Stanley Kubrick working with... Uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke. And how this movie and the novelization of it, because, I mean, they pretty much kind of split the work a little bit amongst themselves, was being done at the same time. And that... Oh. Arthur C. Clarke was contractually obligated to not publish any work in relation to 2001 in any way before the movie came out. So the movie came out first, and then the novelization of it came out, and it was originally going to be... Uh, Stanley Kubrick was going to be credited as like a co-author of the book because they, I guess they had like done different parts of each... Of the different versions of the story but the main difference is stanley kubrick's film ended up being a lot more non-verbal a lot more visually mm-hmm. uh you know oriented not a whole lot in terms of like characters or narrative in any way yeah uh i shouldn't say in any way but it's very bare <laughs> uh and then arthur c Clarke's novel ended up being a little bit more of the opposite of that where there's a clear narrative structure there's clear characters and arcs going on and there's a definite plot that you follow mm-hmm. and there's a lot more explanations as to what things mean in the novel versus what you get in the movie and I didn't read up on what that was I didn't read up on what they really elaborated on I just read that that's included in so, the
0: novelization
1: yes yeah yeah i think i, so I, I found read, that interesting
0: arthur c Clarke's done a couple things to kind of help out with grasping this film mm-hmm. so yeah I, I i didn't realize i i knew that there was a novelization i didn't realize it was at the same time i thought he kind of money grabbed it yeah but no, that's pretty cool
1: to learn now they worked together on it uh quite a bit and I don't think there was necessarily like a falling out, but I think they had some like tensions between each other. Yeah,
0: Stanley Kubrick was like a fucking. He had to have uh, uh, some sort of autism. (laughs) I'm serious. I the way that the way that people talk about him, like if you think about mental disease, right? Like Mm he was he was a film. He was a director in the 60s. If you were depressed, you were feeling blue like they talk like if you read like i i I think i've heard somewhere that his like iq was above like 150 i mean
1: yeah that makes sense to me he does things in this movie that are just beyond what i would have been able to comprehend like even 10 years ago yeah you know compared to like fucking 1968 you know that's what i'm saying i i i i I think that
0: he had something going on that was never diagnosed, you know, but the way that people talk about him and how he treated people and how like his certain antics, you know, it's like, like people talk about like geniuses and some of their faults that they have with, with the, with the human condition. Mm -hmm. I'm like leaning more into like, yes, they have some sort of autism or like I don't know if you—it's like a pill or something like that. You know, like I don't know how to measure like an autistic scale. Yeah. Well, and I'm not using it in a negative context either. Like I don't want to sound like I'm coming across as being negative about this because mm-hmm. I think there's like a stigmatism around it when you say it. I do think that there was something going on, but it did provide us who we have today. Like um, uh, Tarantino. Yeah, I think he might have Asperger's or some sort of autism. I mean, just the way that they conduct themselves. And usually, like, when you have it, it's not just Mm numbers-based. There's a certain realm you can get connected to anything and just go down the rabbit hole but retain so much information because you keep so much of your brain open up. Now, I'm not saying I'm not a scientist. All right.
1: But, like, there is certain avenues that provide you to be, like... Christopher Nolan definitely gives me that sort of vibe too.
0: I'm telling you, some of the people that are just a little bit—I don't want to say ahead, but it's like you can say they're passionate for sure. But I also think that there's something that they
1: have a different drive than. They're what... They're like hyper fixated on
0: yes, it. Yes, and like I—I I think Kubrick had something like a, I, I and I, you probably couldn't find it. I think I tried researching it one day because like yeah. I got so like he had to have had something, but like. Yeah, the dude was – it doesn't shock me that they got into a fight. There's some tension, and Arthur
1: C. Clarke doesn't talk yeah, to doesn't, Stanley Kubrick. Doesn't surprise you? No. Well, it also makes sense because what you said, the way Kubrick shoots his films, it's almost like he's hyper-fixated, like he's a perfectionist. Like he does hundreds and hundreds of takes of one scene Yeah. to the point where the actors in it, uh, Shelley Duvall specifically, you know – just get so fed up with it and just exhausted from how long they've been shooting until Stanley Cooper gets it absolutely perfect. Yes. You know, I can definitely understand and see that perspective of him being on the spectrum in some kind of way. That's I went, there's
0: from some of the stuff I've heard and read about him. I mean, there's like, he's there. Well, one, they have like a whole, like a museum or a film area dedicated to his works and what he did uh they also there's a couple documentaries out there but he had like a assistant you know and i don't want to say it was the ad like i I, it could be it might not have been but like a guy that was with him on all his films and he said that kubrick would fill up uh like two by two by two boxes you know the cardboard boxes of like post-it notes and pages and pages of written dialogue written ideas written thoughts and just stack them in here and he said he had a whole warehouse dedicated to these boxes mm-hmm. like could you imagine spending all of your time just writing out exactly what you see and then having to have a person do it like it's probably a reason why he never really had i mean and i don't want to say big name actors because obviously there were big name actors that were in some of his films but like he's probably a lot of the people that wanted to work with him needed to get into something yeah and you know Yeah, I don't, don't, and I'm sure that I can hear people, but, like, the last film he did was what, Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah. You know, and I'd uh, be- Tom Cruise. And Nicole Kidman, Mm -hmm. and I'd be curious as to, you know, who else, you know, that
1: name brand that you could recognize in that thing. Nicole Kidman scares the shit out of me. Yeah, well, after the Northman. Yeah. Northman, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. She's just terrifying. She's
0: kind of got a weird body.
1: And I'm not judging, but I'm it's, thinking more like I, she just looks like she could just bite my neck, you know? That's
0: what I, she's kind of got it's slim, but it's very lanky. So it, it's, you know, the skeleton guy. Yeah. What's his name? And, uh, uh, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. Tom, Jack Skellington. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what she always kind of, like in the Northman the most is what she reminded me of. Yeah. And, I, like, it's just, it's that, like, almost claymation kind of disjointed body movement. Like, she, be- she
1: looks like she belongs in a Tim Burton movie. Yeah,
0: it that's what, and I'm, that's what I'm saying. I don't but want an animated like, one. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, no, it's just, that's how, like, the Northman, and then we watched The Killing of a Sacred Deer whenever. I can't remember, last summer. Yeah. And I had the same, like, yeah, th- she just kind of has a
1: weird... She just weirds me out. Movement with her, yeah,
0: the bones moving Movement, in a like way. her
1: facial structure. Like it's not even her fault. It's just the the she her just looks people evil. have you know looks that scare you. She terrifies me, yeah. and I think it's it doesn't help that she's like kind of taller than the average woman, right? So you know who's also in that realm, Skarsgård. the it guy. Yeah,
0: who was in uh, uh yeah the movie that we watched, uh, John Wick no, Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Wick Four, uh, he's another guy. That's mm-hmm. like, and if you're, that's what I'm saying, like there's, there's just certain people that just have a, yeah,
1: they just have, they just have a look about them. Well, the look, and then the way they move. I think there's got to be a yeah he could play a live action jack skellington that's what
0: i'm saying maybe i have some fears with
1: jack skellington i think i think you do (laughs) don't don't go into a hot topic you'll you'll be petrified yeah i know yeah
0: i feel like ace ventura too when he walks into the fucking uh 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 what do you call those things when they get uh the raccoons uh exhumified oh like mummified that mummified. You know when they stuff the raccoon? Is a certain oh taxidermy. Yeah. Oh yeah. He walks into like a taxidermy to like get Hunter's house. Have you ever seen Ace Ventura?
1: Long time I, I'm ago. Not going I don't. I can hear people just rolling their eyes. Yeah. I don't. I don't remember too much. Here goes Mac off on his weird tangents again. That's okay. I started it with talking about how scary Nicole Kidman is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, going back to this movie, uh, I did have in my note. I don't have too many notes for it. I just want to touch on this uh, real quick. So. The depiction of the extraterrestrial life that you like i guess either see or don't see in the movie depending on how you view it with the monoliths and what they represent and like the notion of like alien life being out there mm-hmm. it's very different from what they had before where in film the idea of extraterrestrial life was either purely antagonistic or depicted in a a humanoid way you know little green men in costumes like with the big heads and the big black eyes and everything
0: well it was always uh like we're animals in a zoo right Mm -hmm. and they were either i mean they either were coming in for imperialistic notions taking over humans Mm -hmm. right or the study of humans yeah like that's it's one of the other wasn't it neither of them very good
1: right a lot a lot of it very like on the nose almost borderline cartoonish in a way yes whereas this film and i think i read that carl sagan had some ideas to offer to stanley kubrick and then uh he went and saw the film and said to himself oh i guess he did listen to me and then Stanley Kubrick had an interview in I think the eighties where he said, like, yeah, no, Carl Sagan didn't have anything to do with my influence on the movie and what I wanted to do oh, with the extraterrestrial life. It was all my idea. Yeah. Even though <laughs> even though Stanley Kubrick originally wanted to go with a little bit more of a physical representation of what alien life would have been in yeah. that movie, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of funny that he says I'm, he says that. I'm I'm very it's so yeah yeah it's a very it's very
0: philosophical film and i think with those films it provides a lot of gray area Mm -hmm. because of the uh, interpretation that people have with it if especially if you're a, a you know skillful skillful intellectual such as kubrick
1: uh potentially well i think my main point is that it goes along with what you were saying too with the whole religious aspect of it not necessarily like it being another alien life form that we have to fight or, you know, something that's menacing in any way. It's just kind of ascending to another plane of existence. Yeah. And what those monoliths and the fact that they are sort of supposed to be the face in a way, even though there's a lack of a face of extraterrestrial life in that movie. It goes along exactly with that whole religious notion of it, you know?
0: Yeah. It Well, so I read something where he wanted to have he was he he had god who created the universe and created the the firstborns i think he is what he called them okay and that's who created the monoliths and they were um sending them out to different areas mm-hmm. you know seeing who could handle that evolutionary expansion you know so like the monkeys they don't have any sort of there's nothing, I mean, maybe you see the advancements becoming bipedal or whatever, but like until they touch the monolith, that's when you get to see the one monkey kind of have that revolutionary idea, right? And then mm-hmm. you get to the next monolith when they go into space, They hear the loud noise. So it's that next evolutionary, you know, you've colonized the moon, now we're moving to Jupiter. So now we're going to start working on conquering space, right? Mm-hmm. And then so you have the third monolith and once you get into the Stargate scene and Dave gets into the room Uh, i read somewhere that it's supposed to be you could view it as like a uh sort of a um you know zoo like a mousetrap you know like what you house Mm. certain animals like an
1: extraterrestrials idea of what a room for humans would look like yeah
0: exactly Mm. and um you know and then you get into uh you know, they, the the fifth monolith when they become the star child, and the star child is a representation of the firstborn's acknowledging that someone has the capability, you know, to um, descend or ascend again and, and provide that, that next evolutionary step, if you will. So I mean it's kinda like what do they do? The time is an infinite circle, mm-hmm. you know, just keeps it'll rinse repeat, you know, you just go right back into it, you just take another step forward. Um, so I read somewhere that he 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 wanted to, it wasn't he wanted to show God and uh him and well, Arthur C Clarke got into an argument or something about that and someone just said you 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 can't show God on a screen. Yeah, You know <laughs> like there's no way that it's going to meet up. There's so. going to be riots on the streets
1: if you show God on <laughs> yeah. the
0: screen. So I mean it's kind of but it's that's what I'm saying it's interesting because you get into the monoliths and it's it is I mean right there there's a you know is it is it is there a religious deity involved with it or is it you know I mean is it space alien life forms that come through and they're observing us and they're watching these little you know because like we watch you watch a virus spread you can you know you could take something and say oh this has the capability of being this deadly Mm -hmm. you know and then you study it and you use it for whatever reason you may use it for right you could have that 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 thought process that there are, you know, uh extraterrestrial beings that are watching us and seeing us and what we can do and saying this has that next step and maybe you you know you harness us now to do your bidding to do whatever. Like yeah. it's it's a very interesting um they're they're very interesting thoughts that go with this film and i think it just it cracks me up that we could sit here talk about a movie from 1968 and like did god put those things down or they fucking aliens what well, are they gonna do with us
1: what's crazy is that we really haven't even talked that much about like the filmmaking itself or like the set designs like i love the way the sets are with the room and how liminal it looks it, it definitely gives it that like dreamy almost like otherworldly feel but it's still familiar enough to where we recognize that it's a room you've got the whole commercial aspect of the spaceship and how like kind of empty and bright white it is Mm -hmm. and then like even just like the concepts that it introduces that obviously we wouldn't think twice about it now but in the fucking 1960s stanley kubrick made a movie where someone facetimes somebody yeah and that's that's crazy to me it's almost like that idea of like star trek introducing that technology to that we use today that we don't even think twice about, but it's just crazy that he introduces that as a concept in the 1960s. And we, we think about it now as like just an everyday use.
0: Well, yeah, I agree. I I do think there are some concepts like that. Like there's some things that happened that in 1960, I think it is very uh, revolutionary, maybe not revolutionary, maybe kind of grandiose, like, you know, you like there might be ten people that say like this is gonna happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then you say like back in nineteen sixty eight, right? Those ten people say this will happen. You're gonna have like if you took like a population of a hundred people, you're gonna have your seventy percent of people that say maybe, and they take it and they see it and they you know they they might have seen the face timing or or the colonization of the moon or kind of the you know the the commodity of space travel and say I've seen it, don't think it's gonna happen it's still kind of a wild idea and then you have 20 people that are like never in our lifetimes will we see like that sort of technology arise right mm-hmm. so like it is wild to think i bet you i mean there are people out there that did have it i mean it's not like he was the first one to show it yeah but like at the same token i mean i don't want to sit here and discredit the guy i mean it it's just it's a i feel like he could have gone anywhere with this thing and like blew our minds a little bit when it came to space but at the same token like space wasn't talked about like you're saying at that time like he's showing it, yeah you know so yeah i thought the sets were great i mean i i I, this movie to me it is visually stunning it it, the first time i saw it it could not stare like look away
1: yeah i do have your attention yeah
0: this time around i was definitely like okay you know, because I've already seen it and it's and I've already read up on it and I've had some of those notions about like what it means. I really like it. I mean, and, and I guess like what I said before, it's a movie that came out 55 years ago.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, I'll say yes.
0: Yeah. I'm not great at
1: math. So uh, sure. Yeah.
0: 55, depending on the release date in 1968, if it was released then. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think this thing holds up to a certain extent
1: i really do oh yeah for sure and like just thinking about it in the 60s and how it was made like the the notion of zero gravity or like this the rotating sets or like how they film certain scenes and like people walking on the ceiling and then like the camera kind of like turning but not turning in a way to where like it looks like a person's walking upside down and just the different things that they do that make that me wonder was how wild. they did to it. To me,
0: that was wild. That and the mm. centrifugal machine. Like, it felt like he was being a blowhard when he started doing the different <laughs> angles. Yeah. He's like, hey, look what I can do. Yeah. Kind I of showing off. Fucking like I believe, you make you guys believe that he's moving with zero gravity. Uh huh. Yeah. It's I, like,
1: I'm about to blow your mind, yeah. dudes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even dug
0: with the Stargate. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> We're not even there yet. Yeah.
0: Like, I. Yeah, I lo- I liked it. I think there's a couple things that were like there. When it gets outdated, though, to me is when it when it really sucks me out. It is like it kinda, a, yeah, kind of takes you out of it. Man, like being in an airplane and just puncturing that door open. It's like you know, uh, yeah. And then it then it kind of comes back down and you
1: you know get back in. Um, yeah, I think a lot of my issues with it definitely have to do more so with like the lack of characters or narrative that i can attach myself emotionally to because even though dave is a character and even though he's like almost like the central figure of the story and he's like the protagonist in the face of it he doesn't really have much to his character there's not a whole lot of depth there's not a whole lot of emotion there no it's just purely He's just purely a vessel for which we follow, and that's it. Yeah, you know, like yes. there's not much there in terms of a character, and like I, that's anointed, something that I wish we kind of had a little bit more.
0: The anointed guy to be the, you know,
1: supreme being. Like if Dave died instead of Frank, and Frank was the one to go through Stargate, it wouldn't have made a difference. No, hell you no. Know? Like they yeah, they yeah. just basically play the same character. Yeah,
0: that's why. I mean, it's just it was it's just some guy. Yeah, you know that's why I don't know. And also, I just saying that, ah, it's like all right. Did they create God? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the, the baby supreme being coming back. Yeah, you know? right. It's Like, is that what? Yeah. The, the narrative. This is a peculiar narrative. Just kind of thinking about it because this is an actual. Like when you talk about a visual narrative, I don't yeah. know. Like. I don't know how many movies could hold this title that at least I've seen that I either enjoy or, yeah you know, like some Terrence Malick films I feel fall into this realm, mm-hmm. you know, but those are so surreal, whereas this one actually has a driving point, mm-hmm. you know, and to have such a,
1: would you call it like a high concept? I would say so, especially for the time. Obviously, now thinking about it compared to other sci-fi films, it's not super distinct. But when you think about it in that time that it came out, yeah, definitely. I
0: I don't know how much you had on, like, you know parallel universes and you know how time that just how time works mm-hmm. and what we consider like black holes and what they do in the, in the earth you know space being this plane and that they are just sinking into this certain depth or this realm you know like it's it's very interesting that you know 55 years ago I they're just talking on it but now i mean i feel like shit an avengers movie had time travel in it and they explained it to us like mm-hmm. you know we've kind of it you've, we've we've moved past it but yeah at the time i mean they do such a great job of explaining but not explaining
1: right and they don't really they, there's not really any exposition they don't really like force feed you anything or explain what anything means which is a, a big part of why i like this movie yeah
0: it's well and you're i like i mean movies like this i do say i like when you're to your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And you can craft your own narrative about what you think it may mean. Yeah, and I think this is why this one is a really high one up there, because there are so many talking points and interpretations that you could make.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, then- like if if Gideon watched this movie and we were talking about it, we would have a totally different conversation about what we think it represents, or like what it means, or like yeah. what he got out of it. Yeah. And I love I love when movies can do that.
0: That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, that's like uh what was the one that we watched the Russian
1: film I can never remember. Stalker. Stalker. Mm-hmm. Like I
0: feel kind of stalker uh, of that
1: ilk. Mhm. You know. Yeah, It's very similar kind of through line there. Yeah. With, and it's what the movies are doing. And
0: it's such a simplistic notion that it just has so many spider webs from mm-hmm. it. You know, which is what it really makes it fun, but like I always say it's not my it, like I recognize it i like it but it's just not my cup of tea you know yeah and it's i think
1: that's what exactly what you said about stalker a hundred percent
0: like i you you have to marvel and you have to respect it and you have to understand what it's done and i always respect things that if you can take a very simplistic notion and create that much conversation dialogue inspiration from it like mm. You have something that's very special.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. You
0: know, and but at the same token, doesn't mean I have to like like it. You know, absolutely. So, no, hundred percent. I don't I agree attack with me. You. Don't attack me for.
1: Yeah, dude, take it easy, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there anything else we wanted to say about two thousand one? I feel like there's so much we could say, but in terms of like time. This would be,
0: this is it's, this movie really is a great
1: like film study movie. Oh yeah. You could
0: create a whole course on this thing. Um no, I don't I like I said I don't have much more because I mean like I said I respect it, love talking about it. There are general ideas and we could probably just keep branching off of what we're saying. Mm. You know, but at the end of the day like it is something that kind of runs into like a mundane point. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Uh what would you rate it? I think I gave this a nine out of 10. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, nice. Let me look. We're going to
0: get some confirmation. If I can get the IMDB to load up. Mm. Cause that's where
1: I keep all of my scores. Ah. I'm not a
0: letterbox
1: guy. I was going to say audience. You got to keep in mind. Uh, Mac is in the world of IMDB. Yes. IMDB and I'm, I'm in litter box.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I gave, I gave this a nine out of 10. Uh, You got to, it's one of those, it's one of those things. Uh, This is, it's visually stunning. It's got a great, great talking points about it. There are a lot of ideas or notions that you could take from it and and kind of spin into your own beliefs you know or what you want to say like i mean just just evil evil baby (laughs) coming back i mean i was like yeah and viewing it in that lens i was like oh shit like you can see the monoliths very simplistic and and you know and and coming down and where they come from i mean there's just so many things you could talk about and i i give i forgive it for the little dialogue we have as Our character arcs that we have, because that wasn't really what it was intended for, and I always grade movies for what they're intended for. So I True. bet you the reason why I didn't give it a ten out of ten is because I've seen it twice now, and like I'm like I'm good, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be another one of those things where if we a year from now. I bet you in a year from now, if you were like let's watch it again, I'd be like I'm not i'm good i'll read up on it i'll read (laughs) the novelization
1: on it i'm good for another 20 years
0: (laughs) i've seen enough i i I can only pull so much from it and i think it's just because my mind's always i'm just spinning off you know it's Mm. probably like my focus and attention to detail in a film like that i do have the appreciation for but it's not my cup of tea that really brings me enjoyment or entertainment and at the end of the day like i view films as
1: such yes you know 100 percent. that's kind of my view of it too uh, this one's an eight out of ten for me I it's definitely closer to a nine than a seven for sure and if I ever watch it again maybe I'll bump it up just thinking about our conversations with it too yeah because there's a lot that you bring up that I didn't necessarily think about or didn't necessarily come to my mind in terms of like the movie itself but yeah visually great uh really ahead of its time I love the concepts a lot of the themes and the sort of different conversations that we can have from it like you said um i do wish that we had a little more in the way of characterization so we could get a little more attached to what's going on instead of just sort of being an outside perspective like watching a glass in a box sort of thing um and like you said earlier too there are some things about it that do kind of date it you know just being a product of the 60s and what, they, we're what they could do at the time and yeah. where we're at. But uh, at the end of the day, I really do like this movie and I could see myself checking it out again in like a year or two possibly. Yeah. So that's good on you. Yeah. Uh, speaking of you, you and I have some questions for the audience. Whoa. So uh, I we left have questions or a question. So, I left questions for the audience to answer. So we technically have answers uh, that we can read. Sweet. But the questions that I pose, and I say questions because I asked, what is your least favorite movie trope slash the movie trope that you're the most tired of? Yep. And the inverse of that, what is a movie trope that you actually enjoy? So,
0: Oh, I didn't see the enjoyment one.
1: Yeah, we got some answers for one. We got some answers for both, but I'm going to read what we got now. Thank you guys for leaving those for us on Facebook slash YouTube community. Our first one comes from Joanne, my mom, who says horror movies where the characters separate and get picked off one by one. That's almost like the face of movie tropes, right? Yep. Like, that's, like, the tropiest of all tropes is in a horror movie where characters get split up. And I think if they... you
0: were teaching a class, probably what you'd, the example that you'd use to explain a trope.
1: It, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it, it just is its own league, essentially. And, like, horror movies especially are guilty of that sort of thing. Yes. Where, especially when character like, horror movies specifically leave a lot of room for characters to make dumb choices for you to get frustrated at. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of like maybe weak writing comes in—that's very obvious How to you. you. I know, right? <laughs> How dare I? But I don't know. It, it's one of those genres that kind of lends itself to being tropey, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's—I mean, it's it. Well,
0: one you have to strike fear, so there's always that isolation aspect of it, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to—you really want the. I don't know if people project or, I mean, you'd probably think they are if they're questioning the character's decisions, Yeah, you know? So, I mean, it's it makes it easier when they are isolated because you are looking at an individual person probably thinking of your own choices that you do, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's probably why it plays into it. And there's probably no other way to get around, you know? Like, yeah. Because if you have a group that's just going to get killed, like... All three of them, you can't get pissed off at once. You probably you know, figure out who's going to make it. And at the end of the day, one of the three will be left standing by themselves, yeah. either making good or bad decisions. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, yeah, they have to write it that. I think that you just have to do it that way.
1: Yeah. And that's definitely the nature of the genre. The, the thing about it is how do you write it in a way where it feels earned and natural and not forced and stupid? to where you don't believe that the characters would actually make a decision like that. You know, it's one of those things it's where like, tough. as it, it definitely like comes down to being like a good writer and a, just right. a good like screenplay writer in general with how you go about doing it in a way where it feels you know right for the movie. A
0: good one right there, Joanne is
1: cabin in the woods. Haven't seen that yet. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh. that's one I know uh, Gideon talks about it all the time. It's it. They, it's tastefully done
0: and i think that would be a great example of how to do it but mm-hmm. they also are using it, i <laughs> i always think it's easy to poke fun of something because you already have the material there mm-hmm. you know so yeah. you can kind of figure out how to how to make a satire of it if you will
1: I've, yeah, I've heard that it's more satirical
0: it is but it's one of those things where the choices that are made are more i would say well earned because of kind of the vibe the movie's giving off okay so it still is a horror movie but it's yeah that that's one that i would say if you want to watch where you want to feel rewarded with bad decisions Mm -hmm. it's like that because yeah the other ones are just i mean and slasher films and the easy layup ones i mean that's like freddy and um jason and michael myers you know all that stuff is
1: yeah one i'm thinking of that's a good example it's more of like a survival thriller but i really like the way green room goes about it Mm. yeah because there's like the the characters don't necessarily know until a certain point the level of danger that they're in. And so they treat it almost in a way where it's not like it's not like Fred, like Jason Voorhees is after you, where he like could you could turn and like he's at the corner at any minute. Like they really don't know the whereabouts of the characters or like the status of what's going on outside, so they have to like make these decisions that could end their life. Yes. But it's a trial and error type of thing. You trap these characters in a room. And then they have to try to scramble out like they're trapped rats.
0: Another good one, The Last Exorcism.
1: The Last Exorcism. Yes, I don't think I did. I watch that. I don't think I have. No, I
0: and I almost I might not this time around, but I might recommend it because it's uh, um, it's pr- it's another one of those things where you're you're figuring things out as you go along. It's a horror film, and most of the decisions that are made, there might be one questionable one okay you know but like a lot of what's going on you are it's almost like a horror drama mm-hmm. you know kind of figuring things out as you go along and figuring
1: out next steps i mean it's 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 interesting one that one that i always find goofy is the happening that's one where the choices are just really fucking dumb yeah <laughs> it's stupid like john leguizamo's character how he like, i haven't seen i've
0: okay i've watched it i've watched all of 10 minutes of it yeah, go watch, uh, freaking uh, uh, I can't think of it. Oh, well. Maximum Overdrive.
1: Okay. Yeah. There we go. We thought of it. Yes. Uh, our next one comes from Megan, and this is kind of a reply to, uh, Joanne's answer. And, uh, shout out to Megan. You're lovely, by the way. Uh, she says, the horror slasher movie trope when the protagonist makes the dumbest decisions that put them in immediate danger is one I can't stand. And what I love is when the bad guy finds a heart and turns into a good guy. That extends to bad guys or assassins that have a code, too. I think I know what movie she's talking about uh, when she's giving her first answer. Uh, Funny Games, (laughs) which Hmm. is a movie where I think it's definitely satirizing that genre in a way to where at least a little bit because those characters they make choices that aren't necessarily the greatest and there's things that they could do to like make the situations better for themselves. But like the movie inherently is supposed to frustrate the audience. Exactly. Yes. So to me, that's kind of a good aspect of the movie. Yeah. But there are definitely other films where like the main character makes choices that are just plain stupid that just puts them in needless danger that they don't need to be in. Yes. Yeah. And then I think one I can think of for the last one um, at recency bias, but John Wick four with, uh, mm, one of the, the side characters. Yeah. 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 So there's, uh, a, is there any other ones that you can think of?
0: There's no, I was about to say there's probably a plethora of films where the, the bad guy kind of becomes good and does the right thing. Oh,
1: uh, Spider-Man three. Uh, it's not like a good movie, but oh, Harry. Yeah. 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 That happens in that one. Yeah. And then those are the doc only
0: doc in the second one.
1: Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. It has a little redeeming moment. Yeah. Or uh, the villains in No Way Home, you know, the Tom Holland Spider-Man one. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, those are the only movies that exist where that happens. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I think
0: there are. I, I was trying to think of the Assassin's Code one that break the code. Yeah. You know? But I think that's they always get they're like the evil henchmen and then they realize that the the guy above them is doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. So then they go to try to kill him and then that guy narrowly escapes and kills that guy, you know. Yeah. And then he's like, Ugh.
1: I like uh, I really like um, the character of of Mike from Breaking Bad. Not necessarily that he like has a turn, but he has a code of conduct, you know. Mm-hmm. For his character specifically, he's got rules that he personally doesn't cross. Like, people who aren't in the game shouldn't be harmed and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, that sort of stuff. I like his character specifically because of that. And other reasons, too. He's a good character. They're all good characters. Watch Breaking Bad. Watch Better Call Saul. Please. Please. Um, Our next one comes from Kaylin. She says, for her first one... Never been too much of a fan of time travel and how it's used to rewrite the character's mistakes instead of writing them overcoming their failures. Oh, how about that? Yeah, how about that? Um, What's a time travel movie where they do that? Overcome their failures? Yeah, or where they like try to... A ch- I, 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 fucking good example of this is uh, The Flash. <laughs> that's oh. like a big central plot of it. He tries to go back in time to save his mom and then things get fucked up and that's the whole plot of the movie and he didn't kill his mom but what else what was his over
0: like that's what i kind of think about it was overcoming their they go back to overcome their mistakes to rewrite it instead of going back in time to overcome their failures and grow from it
1: yeah i don't know i think i think no we do know
0: we're going to talk about how we know about it
1: out loud yes absolutely (laughs) I'm totally not just working through it at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and wondering no, where I'm gonna it, go with this conversation.
0: Well, that's why I'm just kind. I'm trying to think because I think every, like the first one that popped in my head was Back to the Future. Oh
1: yeah, but like, but that's the movie though. Like, <laughs> like at what point does it just become a plot device, and at what point is it just the central theme of the movie? You know, because like that's what the Flash is pretty much. That's what Back to the Future is mm-hmm. pretty much like i don't know i guess End Game. yeah oh maybe maybe but oh, yeah, whatever <laughs> i don't want to give anything away I, I think the fact that there's time travel in it isn't really a spoiler right i think we're good to mention that okay yeah
0: i'm just trying to think of movies that where we that is a that is a good trope where people go back in time to fix a problem that they created yeah instead of growing from it and going back and that's a that's the part that i'd be interested how you would write that Mm -hmm. going back in time to recognize a failure and instead of going one way like like uh it'd be an interesting movie to see someone go back in time right and let's say that they um They missed out. So I'm trying to think of like a failure. Like what's a failure that you could say like a missed business opportunity like that? Because the failures and mistakes feel the same
1: way. Well, I I can think of a movie where like the failures usually stem from time travel being implemented in the first place, and that's Primer. That's what I was thinking of too. Yeah. but I'm thinking like, all right, so. So let's
0: say you have a failed business opportunity and you just became an absolute drunk, mm-hmm. beat your wife and kids. Like that'd be the next step would be to go back in time, still fail at the business, miss it, but then treat everyone better, right? Yeah. And like there's actually the the Family Man. Okay. The Family Man with Nicolas Cage would probably be the closest one I could think of. That. There's one. Uh, it's about time
1: with donald gleason yeah yep that's he does a similar thing
0: i was trying to think i was like i think that's kind of the same vein but he there's multiple there's multiple and they're
1: a lot smaller like it's just like oh things he could have said in conversation better yeah so then he goes back in time and just says it the way he should have yeah you know yeah but yeah that's a good example of that okay uh, and then her next one for the second part was, not sure if this is a trope, but I do enjoy finding little Easter eggs thrown in the movie's background, referencing previous movies or ones the director has worked on. So Easter
0: eggs. Hey, was there an Easter egg in Asteroid City? Was that the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote? I think, yeah. Okay.
1: That was for sure a uh, Roadrunner Easter y- egg. Yeah. Or like a, a nod to it, at least. Yeah, like
0: a Looney Tunes nod or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, For yeah, I definitely think that was. They
0: They were talking about because you can see the roadrunner it's like oh that's got to be roadrunner and then but you never see the coyote but then billy talks about the bus pancaking a coyote mm-hmm.
1: so i like certain references that they feel natural and they feel like it kind of enhances the world of the story a little bit more like quentin tarantino's movies how each of his films has like applewood cigarettes in it you know yeah. i like that kind of stuff but when there's a movie like um uh let's say uh let's just say ready player one where the whole movie is just references and it's just like hey look at this this is nostalgic hey look at this you like this intellectual property don't you yeah like that's when it gets a little much for me you know yeah that's when it's not not as fun so I think I think Matt can agree with, with me. I, oh there. yeah, I do.
0: I I, I, lo- I I've always liked the Easter egg ones. I don't. I do agree. I don't like it when it becomes a part a theme of the movie, yeah. if you will. Just it's constant not constant like, references. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be reference. I mean, either within dialogue or just visually picked up. Mm-hmm. You know, I do yeah. like
1: the little ones that are strewn in and out that you kind of can. Like Space Jam Two, how they had Rick and Morty there. It's like, oh, it's Rick and Morty in Space well, Jam. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, I I don't, like, to me, Easter eggs
0: aren't necessarily, like, in dialogue. Like, you just pick up on, you know, certain things being done or, you know, newspaper mm-hmm. article that it just kind of shows. It's like, oh, shit. You know, yeah. there you go. So, I do like that. But, yeah, when they start, when they start.
1: When they hammer you in the head with it. Yes.
0: Yeah. I was about to say, like, uh, oh, Thor Love and Thunder.
1: Oh yeah. All the meme stuff that like I didn't
0: even really know about, but you're like, yeah, they had like eight meme things in there that he just found funny that he just went off with.
1: Yeah. You know. I don't even remember him anymore. That no. movie is I've kind of purged it from my head.
0: Yeah, it's upsetting.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Our last one comes from Sam and he has two different answers. Yeah. Uh, for ones that he doesn't like and ones that he does. So his first one is I cannot stand When a sci-fi story goes to a rural, desolate area. Examples of this, Signs, Looper, Interstellar, and most recently, Black Mirror episode, Beyond the Sea. I want to watch that one. That's the one with my boy Aaron Paul. You haven't Uh, seen... I haven't seen that yet. Looper? I've seen Looper. What one have you seen? Uh, Beyond the Sea, the Black Mirror episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to watch that one because my boy, my boy Jesse Pinkman, bitch. I heard that it's, uh, it'll blow your mind. I heard it's good. I heard it's one of the better ones that's come out for this season, so I'll probably check it out eventually here. Um yeah, I mean Looper Looper is what set in kind of a desolate. It's like a desert but they're in a town, like it's a very kind of farm area almost, but then they like get into different locations where it's just nothing but like a grain like a f- grain field or something. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Looper. And I remember liking it, but I'm trying to think of like the locations of that movie.
0: Uh so I I got to talk to Sam about it cuz I really didn't follow it. I thought he was talking about like a whole movie mm. and it's just like talking about like one of the acts where they're living in that. Uh Looper, one of the acts is I think it's either the second or third act when they specifically on the farm. Yeah, and that's he,
1: that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. With the kid and everything.
0: Yeah, it just kind of really Takes away from some of the
1: desolate, you know, and Interstellar's. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that one fully because he it's, he did say he he talked to me privately
0: and said that that one he gives a pass. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the opening exposition, if it leads off in that sort of world, you're all right because we're moving on from it. Yeah, I think more of the gripe is when you take these rich industrial like Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Like there's that scene, right? And they do come back to it, but it you're not
1: in that area for the whole movie. Yeah. One of the acts. Mm-hmm. Like
0: that's where you got to think like 30 to 40 minutes of just being on that farm. I'm
1: surprised know? he didn't list Star Wars because I know a lot of fans of Star Wars are tired of them going back to Tatooine all the time.
0: I think he might like it.
1: Oh, oh. I I don't know. I just know that that's something I've read online that fans of the series but, are just tired of.
0: Yeah, but they're like, think about more of you're in this either post apocalyptic world or you're in this desolate world or like even Terminator. You know, like you're living in this. There's a lot. Of, there's there's something that's occurring or about to occur in AI or whatever is kind of taking over. Like they always run and go to a farm. Like I think mm. that's like because I had the same thing. I was yeah. like, I was talking to Sam about. It. I was like, dude, I don't know what the fuck you mean by like what you said. Like I don't. I thought he was talking about whole movies. No, it's more so of like when we live in this world and then we're taken out of it. Yeah, you know, like in T two, you haven't seen it, have you? No. Okay, uh, in Looper, <laughs> we're in the city, you know, <laughs> yes. and you're seeing, and then we get taken out into the, only to be brought back possibly t- for the third act towards the end of it to live in certain segments of the city. Like yeah. Like, it's, it's one of those where we're in this really rich, wonderful environment that has its own character, essentially. And then
1: for some reason, they bring you to an area that just feels so much lesser. Yeah. like I got gotcha. you. You
0: kind of said Independence Day. hmm when they go to the desert but you know the other thing like and that's what i would say with star wars is that there's like a colony in the desert or you could you know it's they might be like will smith might be walking through the desert but he has a purpose of where he's going he's not hiding in the desert he's not stuck in the desert i mean it's just part of where he's at and the crash landing you know i think it's a way for filmmakers to save
1: on budget a good example of this is fucking brightburn that superhero movie haven't that's one that i have not seen that it's on the list yeah the whole fucking movie's set like on a farmer in the woods and it's this concept of a kid who is like becoming evil superman yeah you could yeah. have him be in the city or like be in a populated area or like just these super awesome locations and yet you have them stuck on this fucking farm like yes. it's it's super unsatisfying that's, it doesn't use the locations well at all that's
0: what he's talking about and i think that's where you get run. i think what happens is people run into a budget and they go, we can save money if we have a third of this film right here with this house. Yes, uh huh. <laughs> like I, that's that's exactly what it is. It well, and it's well in lazy writing. I mean, mm-hmm. like, why don't you figure out if you're doing it to make it more interesting or having
1: like it moving towards a point? You know. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then his second part of this, uh, he said a good example of picking a unique location in sci-fi that is desolate is an Independence Day. They go to the desert. There's also a bit of farm sprinkled in there, or farm life sprinkled in, but still shows the impact on the major population and city, which gives it the full scope. Those other movies that follow the trope pick a farm and hunker down in it. Logan is another example. Don't Look Up is another one. It's like they have no originality to pick literally anything other than rustic farmhouse. So. I guess that was more of a continuation of like It was. His explanation. Of- I don't
0: think Logan should be roped in there cuz they're hiding and it's like we you're not going to hide in the city. Yeah. Like it that's I know what he's saying though with the environment. Like why don't you pick somewhere fun or rich, you know, instead of like you said I mean it, it's supposed to those images in that setting are supposed to depict a certain sort of maybe not lifestyle but emotion. Yeah. You
1: know, kind of like the vast emptiness of it. There's like a little bit of isolation.
0: Well, and yes, and some of the deterioration, obviously things aren't modern. You can see some of it being worn out. It really feels tiring.
1: Yeah, like time know? has gotten a hold of it.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, walking
1: Walking Dead season 2 when they're on the farm there you go. for the entire season like Yeah please just move on from this like this was two issues in the comic and now it's a whole season of this show god damn it why yeah Yeah, (laughs) just get to the prison (laughs) it's way more
0: interesting it's Uh, a great example. yeah
1: yeah yeah um i think that's it for all the answers that we got yeah do
0: we get our own i only got i only got the negatives i know maybe i'll think of a positive
1: um yeah i don't know if i have any off the bat right now with your tropes like negative or positive i like I'm, I'm yeah i'm not sure i need to i need to think about it for a second i'll come up with something you will yeah all right my maybe we'll play off one another
0: because i'm not i got so right now there's four possible outcomes we have one filled okay so you got you got to think of something here why i felt <laughs> this time with mine okay all right my negative is actually I do have a text feed with uh, Sam that we were kind of going over. Okay. Um, but uh, my first one is uh, that he wanted to be caught. Oh, is yeah. the villain. Oh, I, I, I just thought of one. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mine is uh, he – I get – it was cool in, in, in The Dark night, you know, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you see more and more people picking up on uh, – Oh, well, how do we get them into the station to breach into, you know, the security? Oh, why don't we just have them like that was part of their grand, like grandiose plan. And I always get fucking tired of it because I'm like, it literally has to go perfect. And you have to know exactly where they're going to detain you and what they're going to do for you to make this work. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and I like it's always assumed that because they're an evil genius, they know the blueprints and they know all this shit. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like, I really, like, that one, I'm so,
1: I don't, and I don't know if you see it more now or not. It's like you planned on me killing, like, 30 of your henchmen that has been with you this whole time, and then, like, me walking into this specific room. Like, I don't know if I believe that, buddy. Well, like, think about it, like, uh,
0: you know, the, the they gotta have the antagonist and the protagonist meet up in, like, the, the the second act. Like, at the end of the first act, second act, you know, where they kind of, where they, they eventually collide and meet heads, you know, and... and the protagonist arises and the antagonist is jailed up, you know, and it's already, you got to put him somewhere, you know, you got him detained or whatever. And they, they bring you to the location, you know, and they bring you to the warehouse and they start questioning the antagonist about this, that, and the other. And then he starts cackling very evil. They do that
1: in the dark night. That's
0: what I'm saying. They do it in a James Bond film. They've done it. And I'm trying to remember, I've seen a couple other films. That's just not like kind of coming to light right now Mm -hmm. where they, they bring you in, and, and then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I knew you were going to do this. Guess what's happening next? Yeah. And then all hell breaks loose. And it's just, to me, it's like lazy writing to get the antagonist and the protagonist together and create some sort of tension, but then give, like, a easy little way out, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, instead of coming up with something brilliantly, let's just say they wanted to be caught.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's just, yeah, that's just lazy writing. One that <laughs> mine is also that I thought of just now Uh, specific to villains in movies mm-hmm. where they go to the protagonist and they say, we're the same you and I, like, I can't count how many times I've heard that in a movie yeah. said. And for some reason there's like, I'm surprised there's no compilation of it on YouTube or anything right now. Oh, I found our next project. I know. Right. Like, it's just so tired how the villain just says. We're the same. Like he fucking, Tom Hanks says it in fucking Elvis. To Elvis Presley. Yes, yes. Like, we're, we're not so different, you and I. Like It's it's just fucking lazy and stupid.
0: That's what I'm saying. It, yeah. That's not a... Is it supposed to be like the duality of man? Like that construct of like... You're just the polar opposite of me? Mm-hmm. Or like you still have the same intentions that I do and while we're both going about it in different ways we're still moving to the same goal? Yeah. But they never are, are
1: they? No. And like, doesn't one get bested all the sometimes time? Sometimes they just say it to say it because <laughs> they think it's such a good line to say. I don't know. And the other one, too, is like, and this is, I guess, more like Marvel specific, but like Uh-oh. the villain being just a bad version of the good guy. So, like, the first Doctor Strange movie, or Iron Man and Warmonger, or uh, fucking Black Panther and Killmonger. The Hulk and Abomination, uh, Captain America and The Winter Soldier. I guess that one had more a little bit of a story merit going on, but like you know what I mean. Like, sure. they're just like the bad version of the good guy. Yes. So But
0: that you could you'd fault more of the comics on that, right? Yeah. I'm
1: definitely Stan
0: Lee's not gonna pass. I don't care if his ass is dead or not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh yeah, he's not gonna come fight me right now. Uh that's for sure.
0: Even if he was alive, I don't know if he would. No, yeah, he wouldn't. Do you think you'd beat Stanley in a fight? If, when he was alive? Like, like, when
1: he was last alive, when he yeah. was, like, 94 years Only old? Only fists.
0: You can't use objects. Like, of
1: course. <laughs> What's he going to do? He's going to yell, like, Celsior and then I'm going to knock his ass out.
0: Dude, what if Stanley was ripped? Like
1: <laughs> If he was ripped? Yeah. If he was ripped, but he was still 94? Yeah. I mean, he'd probably beat me if he was ripped. Like, do you think you could hit him? I could get a hit in, like I could hit. <laughs> yeah, it'd be one of those things where, like, I punch him in the face, but he spits his tooth out at me, like the Hulk, and yes. I go like, "I'm sorry," yeah, know? and then he just kicks my ass. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. Well, you I'm know? just
0: saying. I don't know if I could. Fiz- I don't know if I could hit an old man. I would think if I got into a fight with Stan Lee, I would pray that he isn't strong enough to hurt me, and I would beat him by having him wear himself out. Mm-hmm. It'd be like the rope a dope, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And then that way I don't have to land a punch, and he kind of beats himself, you know. But I'm still victorious. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I would go with. I don't know if I could physically hit Stan Lee.
1: Yeah,
0: like to hear all that noise.
1: Yeah, it'd would be, be, it'd or- be rough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It'd be pretty rough. Um, How often do movies or TV shows or media in general do the thing where, uh, oh, it was a dream the whole time or, oh, they've been in a coma this entire time? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not super common, but that it's at least happened. Because well, it's definitely been brought up before. You can't wake up
0: if you don't sleep. That's
1: exactly. <laughs> um,
0: I don't. It it does happen. I think sometimes they are tastefully done, and then sometimes like you recognize they're in a dream sequence, and it's a little distracting. Mm-hmm. I am trying to remember. There was a film that I wasn't. We we had to have watched not too long ago. That had a couple dream sequences that actually played two a part. You know, I think if they're like they're tastefully done or they serve a purpose. Yeah. It's a pass. Mm -hmm. I think if they use it for like a um, uh, jump scare, Mm -hmm. you know, and just have like, uh, let's, without actually endangering the protagonist, we'll have like this in here to freak everyone out. Yeah. You know, because we can't actually have anything happen, then I think it's stupid as shit. Yeah. You know, and I, that's what I'm saying. This The other film, I don't remember watching it but i feel like it served a purpose to where it was going Mm -hmm. you know i don't know like the mummy 2 does
1: it okay drifts off there's a the movie i think it's next with Nicolas cage have you seen it that is a really bad movie and it's it, (laughs) it does a version of that very poorly and it it just pissed me off so much i hate that movie because of what it did wow yeah it just absolute garbage trash Wow, Kyle. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's very strongly worded. I know. It <laughs> deserves it. Um, one, that I think, maybe kind of a trope, kind of a cliche, maybe you can tell me that I do like, is uh, the Wilhelm scream. It's kind Ooh. of become a novelty at this point. And I, I like when I hear it because it's just kind of funny, you know? Yeah. It's one of those things where like, oh, there's a, there's the Wilhelm scream.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And some, some movies use it, obviously, as, like, a comedic effect or, like, making fun of it. That's
0: the that's issue I have sometimes.
1: I know. That's when I don't like, especially
0: if a movie is not very self-aware and they do it for tongue-in-cheek purposes. Mm-hmm. That's when it really annoys me. Because it's, it's distracting because it was an artistic choice that was done that doesn't fit in with what we're seeing.
1: Yeah. A lot of the tropes I think about are ones that are sound effects specifically. So, like... If, if someone throws an object in the background and then you hear a crash and then a cat go that, I don't like yeah. that immediately takes me out of it. Cause they include it in so many like serious movies where like, if something, if something crashes into something and you hear that same cat sound, it's, it just takes me out of it. Yeah. Or like, there's like a baby crying sound effect that's very used, like it's used in a lot of movies that I recognize And that takes me out like any sound effect other than the Wilhelm scream that I can recognize and that I've heard in other movies just immediately like pulls me out of the film. Hmm. So,
0: yeah. So, so kind of good, kind of not good. Yeah. You mix your trope feelings in there. I did. It's tangled
1: in a bow, but I think you can untie it and see where the strings are attached it you know? sounds
0: like one string with a lot of other strings not attached
1: yeah it's like one string with like five strings at the other end yeah, and then
0: you snap <laughs> the one string and it makes a Wilhelm noise as it falls
1: yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> exactly see you're getting it yeah you got it <laughs> yeah uh max picking up what I'm putting down
0: I for a good trope um I think you know anytime where the I'll just say it anytime where the hero like swoops in and does something that's really um, fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, and then the sound comes with it. Like I don't, and I guess I don't know if you count that as a trope or not. Like I, yeah, it can be. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's standard in a lot of action films or something. Like I, I remember we were watching Pearl Harbor and they did something great, and then you know it's like at the hero's last little chance to do something, and then out of nowhere someone like, like I guess Top Gun kind of comes into mind. Oh yeah. You know, not to give anything away, but there's like, there's just, there's scenes where something fantastical happens and then the music accompanies it. Mm. Dude, I, I'm i a sucker for that shit. Yeah. Like, I've been yelled at
1: not to clap in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's. By a JT good friend, friend of the pod or.
0: No, he, I've never clapped. I don't know if I've. I don't think i i would with him i bet you i'd get pretty close and then like kind of side eye him yeah and be like all right like he's, he's not gonna
1: he's giving you the look yeah it's giving you a little bit of sass with his eyes
0: yeah hey man like, let's not go that route no i got we watched uh pearl harbor on vhs when it first came out and uh we were watching it and me and my mom something great happened you know that and mm-hmm. we were in our house and started clapping and my brother's like you know what why yeah like that's really annoying mm-hmm. and then so I never really thought of. It. I was like, dude, f you. Like that's how I feel. I'm gonna clap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's
1: how I express myself.
0: Yeah. Well, and then we, we we're in a so a lot of people complain about it on podcasts and stuff. And I remember being in a theater one time where something fantastical kind of happened, but I didn't necessarily agree with the clap. And mm-hmm. people started clapping, and I was like. Audacity, (laughs) and I recognized I was like, I need to control myself if a clap's earned, yeah, right. Because everyone's like, they don't, they don't, they can't hear you when you clap. It's like, dude, I'm not doing it because, like, for the director, like, marvelous, marvelous, you know, it's Mm. just like, oh, great joy, you know, like that's how I express myself when I see something awesome happening, yeah, uh, with a good clap. But I've refrained, and I understand that there are viewing audience members, and no one can hear you clap, so you know politely go fuck off but i won't do it
1: (laughs) and there you have it uh i think that's a good (laughs) cap to uh this this round of questions nice or this round of answers i should say so thank you guys for leaving those for us keep an eye out on the community page and the facebook page for more audience engagement but one more bit of business mclean it
0: is so first off i get to recommend a film
1: yes Alright, first off, are we is there anything in theaters that we're debating on seeing? Um well I figured so the next episode will be episode fifty. Okay. And by the time that gets recorded, I don't think Barbie or Oppenheimer will be out yet. Not so not quite yet. I'm thinking episode fifty one. We could squeeze those two in oh. possibly. If if at all possible. Otherwise, we could do like a one, one episode, the other, the next one. Whichever fits best with our viewing schedules or whatever works best for the both of us. Um, I just thought about a really, yeah. <laughs> It'd be interesting. I don't know.
0: Pause. If, uh, well, it you would be totally geek to do it. And it definitely fits in with it being the 50th episode. Okay. Well,
1: go with that then. I don't... Yeah, but we got to break it up. We got to break it up? Why? Is it like a trilogy or something? Uh, Or are you... Oh, I think I might know what you're talking about. You got the sound effect? That's not it? It's not it. It is not a movie. Oh. Oh. What are you thinking? Breaking Bad? Ooh, I don't know...
0: I don't, that's what I'm saying. It Ooh. would just, it fit in so well with it being episode
1: 50. I know, but like. Oh, there it is. Uh, we don't
0: have to do it. We don't have to do it. Let's I save
1: d- it for another time. Okay. Let's save it for another. We've been talking about doing Breaking Bad forever now. Like, uh, since we've started I wish this. we would have thought about episode 50 and 51. I know. The only thing, the only thing that I'm hesitant by it is because Megan and I have been watching Breaking Bad and. We need to start season five, and there's 16 episodes, and we watch it so infrequently that I don't want to have to watch it without her, and then have to go back and watch it with her, having like too much Breaking Bad. That's you know? ho- well, that's what I
0: was saying. One through, anyways, we'll we'll figure out a different time for it.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So let's it'll- let's
1: hold off on that if that's all right. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Um. So I kind of. <sighs> but there's... to to be determined, Breaking Bad
0: episode is coming. It- yes I was about to say I got uh you know I'm trying to think of something that we haven't seen there is a movie now I'm I, I'm so torn with some of the films because I want to see something I, I haven't seen but they're all bad and then the movie that I want to recommends not good
1: <laughs> also bad
0: <laughs> yeah so I'm not really going great on this train of things to watch and it I kind of want to keep going with the space theme okay there's this movie that I do we do a bad movie or not?
1: That's up to you. That's wow. up to you. You're I'm, not. You're not. You're not helping me out at all. I'm down. This. I'm down with anything, my guy. Yeah. You recommend. Uh, you recommend torture porn? I'll watch it. It's gonna. I'll try to. <laughs> <laughs> you won't oh, be okay. able to say that I didn't try. <laughs> yeah. Uh
0: Okay. We're just gonna do it. If we. 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 The second film will be TBD. Okay. We'll say. I don't. I do have two films that would pair up together. Um, but I want to recommend the one now, and then we'll leave it open because I know Mission Impossible is coming out. Yeah. Um, on the 14th, I don't know if that's something that we need to see or if we just wait till Oppenheimer for our film. Anyways, we're gonna watch Mission to Mars. Mission to Mars okay. with Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins
1: and Don Cheadle. Mission to Mars. I watched this on a plane recently, and I in my search history so I can have. It pop never
0: up. been more flabbergasted with a film.
1: You said uh, Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins. Yeah, is that okay. Mission
0: to Mars? Yep. Okay.
1: Two thousand sci-fi film. Yep. There's All
0: another. Right. There's another movie
1: with Val Kilmer where if we can't think of something, it's called Red Planet. That's the one I'm thinking of because I looked. I looked up Red Mars because I thought to myself, I thought I saw something similar to this that had Val Kilmer in it. Yes. But yeah, no, I'm thinking of that other movie. And it has got time
0: Tom, Tom Sizemore. So uh, so right now, Mission to Mars for sure. And then I'd say the second film, if we opt to go that way, would be Red Planet. Keeps okay. on with the space and Mars theme. And there were four fucking Mars movies that came out within uh, two years
1: of each other. Yeah.
0: It's insane. That like little era of the late 90s,
1: early 2000s. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'm down to watch that. And if you guys are down to listen to episode 50, be sure to check out Mission to Mars, possibly Red Planet. Possibly. That that one is not uh, determined quite yet, but I'll post about it, I'm sure. And uh, be sure to check those movies out before episode 50. Thank you guys for listening. You can find us on www.neoncrewpodcast.com. We're also on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, be sure to do that. And our Apple Podcast page, if you could rate us five stars on that, that would be awesome. Maybe leave a little kind message for me and Mac here. Tell us how we're doing, if we're doing a good job or a stinky job. But either way, five stars would be awesome for our rating on that podcast be fantastic helps more people find it and see it there are a few people i know that listen to it on there so really that uh that would be a good they give a five-star rating well i don't want to bribe people yeah no bribes here just good old vibes that we give appreciation uh you trying to ride kisses with vibes no bribes vibes that's that's what i said vibes Good bribes. I mean, vibes, Uh, you know, (laughs) good, good vibes. Um, We also have Facebook and our YouTube community page where I will post some memes sometimes or uh, audience engagement stuff uh, for you to leave answers or questions uh, where we can read it on the podcast and merch our Etsy page still up, still going. Get yourself a shirt, crew neck, whichever you feel like. And uh, with that bit of business out of the way, what do we say? WWTHD. Bye, everyone.